This episode of HBR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Hacker Public Radio. Uh, we're back with another audio book club, and um, I'm Pokey. And with me today on the audio book club, we've got Fifty One Fifty. Howdy, folks. We got Peg Wall, the legendary Peggy. Hey, hey. We got uh, one a, a, a pretty new member to our community and a writer and someone who's been doing lots of good work for HPR. We got Semiotic Robotic. Hey, folks. We got another returning favorite here. We got Taj. What's good, everybody? And uh, my damn near neighbor, good buddy, X1101. Howdy, folks. And, uh, you know, you'll have to forgive us. We, we started talking about this for probably an hour and forgot to record it. So now we got the recording going. You're going to be stunned at how natural it sounds this time. Frankly, I think we were just all fantastic actors. I've been pretending to be me for years. I've <laughs> I've been pretending to be an adult for 10 years, and nobody's figured out that I'm not. <laughs> I've got a mortgage, a child, a job, and I'm like, okay. That is some serious method acting, man. Suckers. Fake it until you make it. All right, let's get this out of the way. 5150, what did you think of this book? Well, you're, I think you remember last time I, I told you that I tried starting it and bef- once before. And really didn't like it. Now, I, I, get, I, I have to admit, I must not have given it a very uh, good chance uh, that first time. So I didn't, I didn't get much past, you know, uh, you know Julius uh, bringing Dan home, uh, you know, to the place where he lived with Lil. And I, I think I kind of left it off after that. So I, 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 re- I read it again. I'm, I'm glad you made me read it. I, I'm not going to say it's... Uh, my favorite book, but I thought it was entertaining and and, and extreme, extremely uh, interesting on his take of where our, um, our our modern online culture it is going to take us. Pegwell, what'd you think? I really enjoyed it. I I thought it was it was different. Like I appreciate any story that's just kind of out there like that. Um. When they got into the whole, like, the tribes that were not part of the bitchin' society, and they have the people that go out there and convert them, and as a result, they get all their woofy, which is the reputation-based currency, I thought that was, it was really kind of cool to me. Was this your first time listening to this one? No, I listened to it again, just for this. Cool, cool. Oh, and just as a reminder to the listeners, um, we, the show's broken up into three parts. The first 
segment of the show is going to be the uh, just kind of a review of what we thought of the book without any spoilers. We'll keep the spoilers out of it. Um, we may, you know, discuss a couple of things that happened early in the first chapter just for like the setting and stuff. Those aren't really wouldn't really consider those spoilers, um, but the, we won't get into the, the plot details too much um, until we have our beverage review, which comes somewhere in the middle. And then after the beverage review is all spoilers. So if you have not listened to this audiobook or read the book yet, um, but you enjoy the, the book club, um, you know, hang on, listen to the beverage review and you can, you can pause it after that and, and go read the book. And we won't spoil it for you until after we review our beverages. Uh, semiotic robotic. Did, what did you think? You, you read, did you listen to any of it? Did you read all of it? And, and what'd you think of it? I did. Uh, I did read all of it. New guy here does not understand the concept of uh, Hacker Public Radio Audio Book Club, but I did enjoy reading it. I downloaded it from Corey's site, and it is. It's my second time through. My first time through was actually ten years ago when it first came out. It's two thousand four, if I'm not mistaken. So I remember reading it a long time ago when it when it first came out, and. Uh, at the fir- at first, I liked it well enough, but I didn't think it was Corey's best, and I, I might still main- maintain that opinion. But uh, uh, my second time through, I actually enjoyed it uh, a lot, a lot more. Um, I think the uh, I agree with the with the folks who said that uh, the currency system is definitely interesting, uh, and um, I really there's just something so deliciously uh, interesting about a guy trying to solve his own murder that uh, I think is is an instant hook. I will agree with you. I liked this better the second time through. Um, but I listened to it for a third time and I flash baked it the third time. I, I sped it up as much as I could tolerate and listened all to all the whole book a third time today. And I can find, I found so many holes in the book when I listened to the, the chapters closer together. It, uh, I still like it though. That's the thing. It's got so many holes in the, the logic and the concept, I, I think now, but I still loved the book. I still thought it was a great story. Um, but yeah, better the second time than the first. <laughs> Taj? I'll be the odd man out. Um, I I didn't uh, really. I won't say I didn't like it. I did like it. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't spectacular to me. Um, I think it's got a bunch of really cool ideas. Um, I glad semiotic robotic said when it was written because that was one of the questions I wanted to know but was too lazy to go look up because uh, I think the reason that I am not thrilled with this is because I've seen other people tackle the same issues and it, in my opinion do it a little better. And so I was kind of spoiled by this, although it wouldn't surprise me if this was maybe the first time that some of these things came up um, and prose that, uh, you know, people were writing about. I love Corey's other stuff. I don't know. This one's just a hit, just a miss for me. X1101, I cut you off. What were you about to say? Oh, I just was going to say that I look forward to hearing what you, what you, the holes you found, because I read the book. I actually finished the book. I had started it a while ago, read half, three quarters of it, and then finished it on the way back from uh, Nelf this spring. And then um, after the first book club, I was looking for something to recommend and listened to this this book, another of his books, and a couple of other things. And this one's, um, I thought, the just a better story. You thought this was better than which other one? Uh, Eastern Standard Tribe. I like this story's more interesting. Yeah, I can agree with that. Eastern Standard Tribe was a slow read, but I, it was I, I I liked that one too. It was it was a, a fun slow read. Oh, don't I love Eastern Standard Tribe? I just thought this was more fun. It would be have more interesting topics to to discuss. 
Yeah, I thought this was a little more relatable than Eastern Standard Tribe. I, I didn't quite um, see, you know, technology playing out the way that it did in, in that book. But but this one, it, it's got hooks in the way we might want reality to be, if, if that makes sense. Well, I, th- I think I found Eastern Standard Tribe both too close and too far. I completely understand the all the people I talk to are on that side of the country or that side of the ocean, but some of the extremes that we went to in that story were just weren't, weren't as interesting as the the issues that this story brings up. Sure. But now I'm reviewing a book that we didn't listen to, so. Yeah, we kind of all are a little bit. He's a very prolific writer, and it's it's – I've read a bunch of his books or, or listened to them on, as audio books, and it seems like everybody here has. So it seems like we're all familiar with Corey. So it's it's kind of hard to talk about any of his work without talking about all of his work, you know. Now, am I correct that it seems to be that this was his first novel? I found lots of short stories that were older than this, but this was the first bigger story. Does that sound right to everybody? Anybody? Yeah, that that to my knowledge. It really reflected on when I read this uh, the second time is just how much Corey has matured as a writer in the past decade. Um, I think that the his ideas are still as sharp and as interesting as, as they ever have been over the past decade. You cut out. Semiotic robotic, did we lose you? You cut out there. All right, he may have. Um Oh, he just dropped off. Yeah, not only was it his first novel, but it's also historically significant because it's the first novel that was ever uh, released under a Creative Commons license, uh, as well as being uh, widely published. And I know he's one of the bigger driving forces in in that. I know I've read, listened to a plethora of his works, and... At one point, I actually – I've enjoyed a lot of his stuff so much I went and bought uh, two of his books just to say, you know, thank you for all your good work. It's been it's been wonderful. Keep it up. Yeah, same here. Same here. I've, I've bought books of his as well that yeah, I never that, intend on reading. <laughs> yeah, I have a – so I think I'm pretty sure I have a – Oh, you cut out again. Back this time? Uh, yeah, try it again. You think you have a what? I said, I think I have a complete collection, if I'm not mistaken, in paperback and hardback, which I'm pretty proud of. Oh, very cool. That's very cool. I've only got a dead tree copy of uh, one of his books, and then I've got an e-copy e- of another one. I purchased the ebook version of Little Brother, and before I did, I emailed him. I was like, hey, this might seem kind of odd like to ask or something. I was like, if I purchase this through Google Play versus another sort of way of doing it, which one would net you the most profit? Because I dig your stuff, and I want you to get the most out of my purchase. Very cool. I, he probably answered, I'm guessing. What was his answer? He said, just buy it any way you want. That is cool. And one other thing that he does, if you download his books for free or you listen to the audiobooks and you would like to purchase his books just so that he gets some money out of it, but like me, you're never going to open the thing, um, he's right on his website or somewhere uh, on his website. I'll have to look this up and put it in the show notes. You can purchase a book for a library, and there are ways for libraries and schools to request that you purchase books for them. So you can just go on there and pick out a school and, and purchase one of those books for them. That reminds me of an amusing story that I think I read somewhere 
I, I want to say that it was Little Brother and Homeland were assigned as uh, were assigned reading in a school, were then banned from the school, and then I believe he donated like seventy copies of the book to the school. Yeah, that just yeah. happened maybe a month ago. Yeah, I'd say about a month. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading that, and I went and bought paperbacks of both, and I'm going to put them in my classroom. Uh, asterisk a, a month ago as of the time of this recording we're we're uh mid-july here so by the time you're you're hearing this on the podcast it's going to be much later i think yeah good call i know that i've uh i've got the physical version of homeland and i'm definitely when my uh daughter is of age that's appropriate i'm going to suggest strongly that she read both little brother and homeland so i also invited Corey. i, I didn't like in the past, I've invited authors, like sent them a, a, an email individually, and um, we had one on. Uh, one said they couldn't make it, I think, and others have just ignored me in the past. Um, this time, I've just I, I've gotten in the habit of putting the audiobook club on my Google Calendar and just sending the invites to people who have shown interest. Um, so anyone listening, if you're interested, you know, just contact uh, HPR at HackerPublicRadio.com and just say that you want to be on that mailing list. And I'll, I'll add you to, to the mailing list that I use for the book club and I'll add you to the Google Calendar invites. Um, I kind of like Google Calendar because it, it does the time conversion for you. <laughs> That's kind of handy. Everybody's on the same page that way. But I added Corey to that and he actually responded and he, he apologized that he couldn't make it. He said he, he would like to, but he's traveling and uh, a lot right now and he's in such a different time zone that it just wasn't going to work for him. But he actually did sound like he was you know disappointed that he couldn't make it um and i just thought it was really cool that he even bothered answering you know just the invite it wasn't even a personalized email well if ken was on the show he he would uh tell you now that you've made contact you you've got a, a perfect opportunity to uh set up another one of your uh famous interviews yeah it's not a bad idea well he responded i think that means he owes us a show yeah, I thought that's where fifty was going with that too. No, I would. If you do, I I do have one uh, question I'd like you to ask. Was I I was just looking up dates, and like I said, my opening comment. I thought this this book was maybe a comment on our electronic society because the Wolfie seems, uh, w- which we've talked which we've talked about this this is the sort of only currency left that reflects the number of people who respect you and respect your work and what you're doing it's it seems to seem to me like it was just making a total joke of uh facebook and their likes but i was looking this came out a year before facebook ever started all i'm not even sure when they started doing likes uh so and it, it it might he might have had it i uh well i guess the question would be did he ha- when he wrote this did he have the uh, idea in his head uh, tr- uh trying to extrapolate uh our our, our uh, digital popularity but i guess there really wasn't a measure for it back when he wrote the book not like there is today well, and here's, I guess we can talk about the woofie and their economy without going into spoilers. Um, and that's cool because it's one of the holes I found in the story. But so apparently they're in a post-scarcity society. Apparently there's uh, 
unlimited robots with unlimited physical resources to make anything you need and there's unlimited free energy uh, to just provide everything you need so therefore currency you know based on some gold standard or even a fiat currency you know based on on physical value is really worthless um so they go with this woofy which is kind of like kudos or or it's social currency it's what it's people's opinion of you at the time and at first that seems fine you know it, it seems like it could work but the more they go through the story the more i have to wonder how it works um do they, as you acquire Woofy, do you have to spend it to get the things that you need? Or does having a certain level of Woofy just entitle you to certain things? And uh, I read a Wikipedia article that tried to explain it. I don't know where they, the source was for this. I didn't track down every source. But they said that basically you didn't have to have Woofy to give someone Woofy. So even if your score was zero, you could still say, oh, that guy's you know plus 50 woofy but then how do you stop like 12 year olds from going oh that's a funny face plus a billion so i just you know there's there's so much there that that it is unexplained right i do think he says at one point uh there are certain un- almost unattainable luxury items that you actually have to spend or trade wolfy for but i think the rest of the stuff is uh it you can you can get stuff if your wolfie's above X. It's not like they subtract it uh, when you go to a restaurant and and, uh, and sit down, have your meal. But the the thing is on the wolfie, uh, you know, if, if your if your wolfie is zero or if you have low wolfie, like er, er, talks about early in the story, Julie Julie is recounting his days as a student. Uh, before he'd ever actually produced anything, I mean, it's completely voluntary where you want to where you want to produce, you know, spend your life doing anything. But you know, it it's pretty much your your you know your, he was eating at the university auto mat or or, or something like that. It, it wasn't like he could go to a really good restaurant, and uh, it it wasn't like he could really live in a house like we would think of it. He had, you know, essentially had a sleeping cubicle at the university. And so, and then we see later in the story when your wolfie drops to zero, you know, you, you have, you even have trouble getting that. Right. That's the impression I got is that, uh, you, you don't lose wolfie when you spend it, but you, you, um, when your rep, when your reputation gets quantified, at a certain point you can access certain resources or enter certain areas, um, you know, of a, of a city or whatnot, um, based on your Wolfie score. Yeah. And there was another hole that I found now that you mentioned that, but, uh, actually before we do that, uh, David Whitman joined us, David, um, are you able to, to talk with us or are you just here to listen or. All right. Yeah. I was having trouble getting sound out of him earlier. He's on, on the road with Plumble, but, um, yeah, David, if you can, pipe in later feel free to do so at any time uh so anyway yeah if woofy's based on uh your popularity how come there were no like real celebrities you didn't hear about like movie stars i mean he's a musician but he was like a composer you didn't hear about like pop culture at all i got the impression that kind of the thing the things that he was they were doing they were kind of rock stars right 
Yeah, maybe a very granular form of rock star. Maybe you just you don't have the whole world audience like a a TV show nowadays does. That that's possible. Well, I guess maybe the thought would be if there's no point in accumulating ridiculous amounts of wealth, there's no point in trying to sell the pop culture. Therefore, the whole concept of pop culture kind of falls off, and people only make things that they really care about. Bingo. Also, also. At one point, he'd compose like quite a few symphonies and everything, and I think if everyone can do that and just do whatever, I don't think there's really a need for, you know, the pop culture kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I still think there's going to be sheeple. Well, you can kind of see that when he talks about some of the people who haven't been around very long. Like, they're definitely looked down upon as, like, the people who just don't get it. Another thing to consider, I mean, be, you know, being a rock star or being a movie star, that's work. And if nobody works, then there would be no rock stars and no movie stars. He does talk about watching bids at one point. So, you know, somebody must still be making entertainment, but perhaps it's all entirely made inside the computer. And since they're in a society where death isn't really something many people worry about... It, it could just be one of those things where you just do it for a while until you get bored and then go, hey, I'm going to go do something else. Right. I I think that, um, you know, what you, what you have is a, is a situation in which um, with, with uh, no currency in the traditional sense that we're familiar with, you also um, have to rethink the way you deal with social relations, right? So the idea that you have a currency that's based on what I can make for myself and gain value from, uh, now the currency is based on what I can do for other people and what they do for me and my reputation in their eyes. So, um, you know, it, it inverts the kind of the relationship between myself uh, and my self-interested actions and what I'm able to do for other people and how that gets quantified and how I'm able to use that as a kind of capital. It almost parallels some discussions I've heard about the uh, the idea of the almost reputation economy in the free software and open source worlds where you are what you can do and you are what you have given to the community. I think that's a perfect parallel. We, we all know the core is deeply entrenched in that culture, and I think this is a way to expand that notion from free software and free culture uh, into you know an entire social formation. Okay. Uh, I don't disagree with anything that you guys have said there, um, but I don't see how any of that keeps celebrity from happening. I don't see how a movie star wouldn't make a movie for the benefit of Woofie. I mean, it clearly... It's it's if if the mind has evolved, it evolves into this type of society that we're all kind of familiar with, where um, the best leadership are the people who don't want to lead. So the best producers of Woofie are the ones who actually don't want it. But you still can produce. Uh, you know, I mean, this guy Jules goes does everything for Woofie. Everything he does, his his goal is is to gain Woofie. And Dan is the same way. Once he's lost it, at first clearly he isn't. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just I don't see any of that stopping celebrity and, and pop culture from happening. Maybe it would be a little bit too risky to try to do that whole thing, because look how we treat, you know, like as a society, how we treat celebrities. Like there are people that go, oh, well, that celebrity did this. And then once it's reported, it's like, you know, celebrity XYZ frowned at a puppy and then everyone's upset at them. They'd be hemorrhaging woofy like there'd be no tomorrow. 
that kind of tails into something I was going to say is that it almost seemed like Wolfie was very, very volatile, which I guess being a reputation-based economy, it would be. And that, that kind of points out, you know, you look at someone wrong and your reputation tanks and then you, you know, pick up a bottle for somebody and skyrockets. Yeah, I think there's two things related to Pokey's comment. The first is that motive plays a role in Wolfie. So if somebody judges your motives for doing an action um, as unfavorable or, or sort of um, you know unscrupulous in some way, they can choose not to give you Wolfie or detract from your Wolfie. So other people are the judge and jury of sort of your own popularity. And that dovetails into the notion of pop culture, like in, 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 a, in the sense or in a way like we celebrity might still exist. It doesn't preclude celebrity from happening, but what it does is it allows a sort of, um, I don't know, populism of celebrity, right? Whereas the, the, the only people who are celebrities are not those who are manufactured to be made celebrities, but those who accumulate enough Wolfie through, um, you know, popular through popular vote almost. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's like, um, limited somehow like it uh liquid democracy might be or like if 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 i like what semiotic robotic just said i can give him 50 woofy but that's all the woofy i can ever give him unless i take some of it back that would kind of level the playing field well i think uh, i don't know you said something about you didn't have to have woofy to give it but see it they did they did indicate that uh well at first they valued woofy from people that you uh, they had apparently a poll or something that would, uh, well, they could they could see by what Wolfie people given to other other people, uh, somehow mapping their uh, their likes and dislikes. So, Wolfie from people that I guess Wolfie from people generally disagreed with you was actually uh, valued more than than Wolfie from people that were in lockstep agreement with you on everything. I want to remind me to bring this up again after the spoilers because there's there's a lot that I was thinking about about this. And see, I almost, I will I'll do that, Pokey. But I almost had the exact opposite impression where if a, a group of people that I tend to agree with have a lot of respect for you, I will weight that more heavily than if a group of people I disagree with tend to have a lot of respect for you. That won't mean very much to me. But I I did you know, uh. It did seem to me in the movie, or in the book that somebody who had a lot of Wolfie could could give more Wolfie than somebody who didn't have have a lot of have Wolfie. Maybe if you're at zero, you can still give. Maybe it's limited there. You can still give some, but it's it's it. It seems like you'd have to you had to have more Wolfie to give to 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 really raise somebody else's Wolfie. Maybe, maybe, and that brings into question: if you lose yours, does it then take some of that other person's away? Uh, Wikipedia, again, this is not in the book, but uh, Wikipedia based it on something, and, and they, it was in reference to Corey's writing. And the way they described it was that right-handed woofy was woofy that you got from a person for doing something directly for that person. So. Um, like if if I sent Taj a bolt of fabric to make a hammock, he could give me right-handed woofy for doing that. And people who he influences, his friends, could go, oh, that was really cool of him. And they would then give me left-handed woofy because it doesn't – it's not something I did specifically for them. They just thought it was cool. Right, and related to that is the notion that you can get woofy for things that happen to you, right? So I can't talk much about this without getting into spoilers, but there's one point in the book where – 
Oh, the spoiler police just shut you off, man. What happened? <laughs> the internet doesn't want spoilers. Did you drop off again? No, I'm here. Oh, okay. What did you, you you cut right out as soon as you started? You said um, and it just went dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said you know I don't want to give I don't give away too much, but you know you can get woofy for things that occur to you, not just the things that you do. So there's a point in the book, uh, which we'll probably talk about later in the post drink section, where Julius gets woofy for things that are happening to him. He calls it sympathy woofy. Oh, right, right. Yeah, and I didn't see that as being. You know, a, another category. I didn't, I didn't see like, oh, there's right hand woofy, left hand woofy, and sympathy woofy. I just thought he meant, oh, it's because they're they're sympathetic that they're giving me that, and that, you know, it might be left handed woofy since it's not something he did for somebody. But again, this is all. Even though I read it on Wikipedia, I still feel like it's speculation. Yeah, it's someone is taking the what they read and extrapolating it out to what they think it means. Right. It feels like that, yeah. But then again, it, the book's been out for 10 years, and Corey's so accessible, someone might have asked him about it, and, you know, because Wikipedia has to be sourced. Corey could have written a Wikipedia article for all we know. Uh, no, that's not allowed either. If, if he was, someone would have figured it out and deleted it. Yeah, that kind of be behavior is generally frowned upon. So the other thing that this book brings up, without having to go into spoilers, is the, um the whole backing up and restoration uh, topic that you can, you can back up your life and your knowledge and your experiences and you can be cured of anything by having a, your memories implanted into a cloned body. Um, and, and there's definitely stuff I want to say about this after the spoilers, but I think there's plenty to say before it. Pokey, remind me, there's some odd, like loophole -y stuff that I also kind of picked up on there that I wouldn't, would like to try and remember to bring up as well. <laughs> it's probably the same stuff. Probably. Well, you see, I didn't realize until, in fact, Wikipedia has it wrong. That I didn't realize until later in the book when they talk about deadheading uh, that uh, that's what they meant. They would, you know, actually take a backup and then they would kill off your physical self and then restore you from uh, backup after a certain number of uh, number of years uh, if you just want to tune out for a while but but the other thing they talked about it using deadheading for because I, I thought when they first talked about deadheading it was cryo uh, refrigeration you know they were you know they just put you uh, into a cryo chamber uh, for that many years and then thaw you out but the other thing they mentioned they also use it for space travel so if you uh, I guess maybe not the short uh, in in uh, local Earth orbit, like Julius, I think, talks about taking, uh, going up to the space station. But uh, definitely, uh, I got the impression they had interstellar travel. And for interstellar trips, they don't transport your physical body. They, you just, uh, you know, step into the backup uh, receptacle, and you walk out, and they knock you in the back of the head, and then they uh, make a clone and restore you from backup whenever the spaceship gets to the destination, which that that's one of the things I thought, you know, maybe one of the anomalies you were talking about, uh, why would they even do that? Because it also said when they're talk later in the book when they're talking about the backup system, it's not like you're backed up just on disk. You're you are across the, the network galaxy wide. So why would they you know why there wouldn't even be a sensation of space travel. They would just you know, kill you here and then restore you from back up there. Another no, thing, 
No, he no. They specifically talked about the body being stored in I forget what he called them something jars. No, he he specifically talked about it and and made it sound more like cryogenic uh, stasis than than a, a complete disembodied personality. Um, though though your consciousness uh, seems like it can interact on a limited basis in that disembodied state but they, they he specifically talked about the bodies being like so, and even on short trips he said he said he uh stayed awake for a two-hour plane ride and he was like the only one everybody else deadheaded through it right so got- that's that seems kind of drastic to let yourself be killed for a two-hour plane ride and and uh come out on the other end that was the other point i was going to make and since since they did say in the book it probably takes like a day you know to 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 restore you from backup that that's that's that seems rather drastic not to not to sit up and stay awake for two hours on the plane ride see i got the i got the impression he does say at one point that people switch bodies uh just to get over a cold so uh you know doing it to uh to fly for two hours doesn't seem that bad I got the impression with uh, the short-term stuff like the flights and even the space travel, it was more like possibly freezing your body, but more like taking your brain and turning it off for a while. And then tur- like like you would turn your cell phone off when you get on the plane and then you turn it back on again when you land. Yeah, exactly. Your cell phone is your brain. Right. Yeah, that's what I got out of it too is it was more just, you know, turning the switch off on your head. But I, I don't I think it's more than just that because Dan was planning on, on well no, I'm sorry, that's a spoiler. Uh but some people deadhead for quite a long time and, and you know, their body's gotta be there, I guess. But yeah, that's that's another part. I can hear the announcement now on the plane. Please check off your consciousness until the pilot tells you we've reached a or a cruising altitude. Yeah. <laughs> So this brought up a question for me, which is, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm terribly clever in thinking about it because I think a million people have come up with it. And I don't even think I came up with it on my own. I'm sure I've heard it before. But, you know, people, and, and I have an answer for the question, but I'll give you guys a, a shot to answer it first. I'll, but I'll ask is when someone is restored from backup, when their when their physical body dies and their new body uh, you know, comes back and all your your memories are implanted there. You know, people always ask, does the soul die with the body, or does it get moved into the new body with your memories? Are, are you the soul, or is this something more ethereal? And and that's I I think, I think the book tries to ask that question, and I think I have a pretty good answer for it. But let me hear what you guys think if you thought about it. Well, I th- I think a, it it didn't seem to me like they're they're there's not there's a, a lot of active religion le- left in the world you're you're right they did say it is kind of mentioned you know is is that the real you dies the first time and uh but doesn't really go on you know not a whole lot of hand wringing about whether it is or not and it, it, you know this this has been approached in other science fiction like it's but least in the books on star trek you know it's first time somebody go on the transporter and you know and we uh disassemble their molecules and reassemble i mean is it a is it a is it the original person with their soul intact or is it a copy that comes out the the other end and you know in in, in, uh that uh fiction it's never it's never really answered either they uh, they kind of say well we can do that no you know uh it's 
I guess so so important to their daily lives. I mean, it would be like saying, well, you know, to to keep your soul, we've got to give up cars. You know, how how many people are going to say, um, you know, uh, how you know, it, it would totally transform their society uh, to give up this ability to constantly be reborn, reborn into a younger body, live forever. And not and not have to worry that you're going to go diving and dr- and uh, uh, drown underwater, which is what happened to Julius at one point. I guess it kind of also speaks to the brain mind dichotomy. It almost the only analogy I've ever come up with that makes any sense, and it probably only makes sense because of what we do, is it's almost like the brain is the hardware and the mind is the software that runs on it, and then where does the soul fit into that? Is it a biological piece? Is it some metaphysical thing that we can't explain? What is it? Well, I think, like, it's just the, that culture in the book. They just moved past it. Because um, I, I was thinking about it, and I... Years ago, I read this, and I can't remember what it was, but it was basically the debate when heart transplants, like, became, like, thought about. Like, they weren't able to do them yet, but they were thinking about them, and the big big question was, is, like, will this take your soul if you, like, remove your heart and replace it with another one, which, obviously, nobody thinks about that anymore. We just do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a serious procedure, but, you know, it's pretty routine. It happens a lot. It's just one of those things that people are scared of things that they don't understand, but once a couple of people do it and it seems to be safe, they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's not that big of a deal. The question will be, if we can get to the point where we can do a brain transplant, what happens? Yeah, so it's, well, yeah, so it's kind of like your grandfather's axe. You know, this is this is my grandfather's axe. It's had five handles and three heads, and it's just as good as the day he bought it. <laughs> so I, I really I like this question, Pokey, because I think that uh, Corey missed a good opportunity here to explore this. Most of his conver- most of Julius's conversations with Dan about this, and they go back and forth about this all the time. It's it's one of the apparently one of their like favorite debate topics that they go on about on and on about all the time, and we, that all sort of happens off screen, right? So it all happens uh, through narration, but you never actually hear the dialogue, and so Corey never really lets us know how the characters come down on this issue. Well, no, I I think in a way he kind of does, um, and they don't talk about it like a soul either because uh, um, I think X-1101 is one that said that it's kind of a religious topic and he just said the religious people just kind of died so you know they died off so and that kind of and that makes sense in this story um, they talked about it like um, they said if you're if your body's destroyed and you clone a new body and your memories are transplanted into it is the new you you or is it a new you are you gone and I think that's the way they put it and uh, I mean, I guess I, you know, I'm thinking about soul cause that's the way we think about it or I think about it anyway. And, uh, but I, I think they did kind of address it and it seemed like the people who felt like it didn't matter as much, like, okay, there's a new body and there's my, my memories are implanted in it. That's me now. Those are the people that switched their body because they had a cold. Um, whereas Jules did not like being refreshed from backup. He said he would do it if if something happened to him, but he didn't like doing it. He wouldn't he wouldn't just swap out for nothing, and that's why his body kind of got old. Um, so I, I think that's how you tell where someone falls in that issue is, you know, how how old does their body look, or how often do they do this? Well, it almost brings another interesting parallel in. It leaves all the things there, and so I'm going to bring it in. Is I mean, it's a, is it you or is it an exact copy of you? I guess in the same way, if I go to 
Amazon and I buy an MP3, the, the their MP3 that they sold me didn't go away. I just got a copy of it. What would prevent the, them there for being, you know, 10 of me? You know, if it's just memories and a cloned body, why couldn't I have my memories put into four bodies at once and get more done? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring this up. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah. the, I think the the point of, you know, of having a society that sort of is uh, done with the soul debate is is because they've moved beyond uniqueness. Right. I mean, it's 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 apparent in their economy and it's apparent in their metaphysics is that they the whole point is that things are not unique. They are, they are repeatable. They are duplicatable. It's your memories, your consciousness, your body. Um, and, uh, if the soul is simply an accumulation, I mean, it depends on how you define the soul, but if, if they're, if they're talking about a thing that is absolutely unique and unrepeatable, that has no place in the bitch in society because the bitch in society, uh, doesn't value things that are unique and unrepeatable. Well, they value things that are unique the first time you do it and then they go and repeat it. So, you know, it's, you know, you know, it's unique when you invent it. It just is then repeated ad infinitum. That's a, that's a really good clarification, yeah. Well, and as they say in the book, they didn't have to convince people that they were right. They just had to outlive them. Yeah, exactly. Now, my answer for the soul question, and now that I'm listening to you guys talk about the self question, if, if self is not soul, I, I, I have to change my answer because – does your soul die with your original body or does it get moved on to the new one? I think the answer to that is it doesn't matter. Uh, if you, if you, cause eventually, you know, you're going to die and your soul goes away. So if it, if it goes away with your first death and then your, your clones are now soulless individuals, uh, that doesn't make any difference to your soul. And if it gets moved along, okay, fine. Then it just gets to live until you die. So I think it doesn't matter. But if self is something different than your soul. And like you guys are talking about where you could have copies of yourself, which they didn't have in this. And I, I wanted to bring that up and I wondered why they didn't. Um, then self, I think, becomes something very different. I kind of like that. It's kind of like a digital version of reincarnation. Yeah, I mean, right. un unless you're like, like say I got to, I got to be in two places at, at once. Shit. All right. So I make a copy of me. Unless there's some law that says I can't do that, I'm doing that. And unless there's another law that says, well, when you're done with that, we need to merge these memories back together. Uh, I don't see how you avoid overpopulation within the first day or so of this. I just got a vision of a Git repository of my consciousness. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, that's essentially what they have, right? Because when you restore from backup, they have version control. I mean, Julius's uh, ex, you know, opts for a backup that can, you know, erase several years of her life. And so uh, they, they do have some sort of uh, consciousness version control. I just want to be able to use the term go fork yourself. <laughs> Does this mean when you want to suggest some, that somebody live their life differently, you actually submit a pull request to that person? Well, see, I think the other thing that would be interesting is, are there going to be consciousness version control debates? Well, you know, I want my consciousness stored in Git because I think that does it better. Oh, no, 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 you've got to use Bizarre. No, 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 you've got to use Mercurial. Oh, I'm, I'm sticking with the old SVN model. I can't get it out of my iLife backup. <laughs> Can you imagine how snarky the issues <laughs> threads would be? If you've got people fighting over text editors now, can you imagine consciousness editors? Oh my god, can you imagine the the uh like the boutique business that that would be editing consciousness for people? 
Oh, you can do it in Emacs. For sure. Is that a major mode or a minor mode? There's already a plug-in. I wrote a Vim script to do that ages ago. I'll drink to that. Who's thirsty? I edited mine in Nano. I can't remember anything. Well, uh, I'm surprised nobody's thought of the, the, the natural extrapolation of that is... Okay, just forget the whole physical thing. Go into a matrix. You know, we have all these people who are bored saying, uh, "Okay, there there hasn't been anything new in a hundred years, and we, I don't expect to see anything new." And so I'm just going to tune out. You know, uh, have myself backed up and have them knock me in the back of the head, and then I'll. I guess like we 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 talked around a little bit that there there is a way that you're stored backup that you can bring yourself up and at least look at the news feed, see if there's anything new, and then decide, well, I'll go back to bed for another thousand years. Uh, but, you know, if you can do that, and you're, 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 you, uh, you don't want to live in the real world because there's nothing new to see, you know, why not just stay in the uh, virtual world and uh, make whatever world that you want? Oh, I got Why would the there be anything... Why would there be anything new there then? Yeah, I got the impression that there was no virtual world fifty one fifty. I I don't think our our soft. I don't think in this book there's a computer powerful enough to run our software at full speed. It was just you know it can back it up, it can store the data, um, but not not run the software. I guess if that makes sense. If you're post scarcity, anyways, I mean you should be able to create anything you want in the real world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the only difference there would be in a virtual world, the laws of physics need not apply, whereas in the physical world, the laws of physics, at whatever point you are, need apply. I mean, I know they talk about um, being in space, and so the laws of physics of space still apply, but you can't just say, well, I don't like this law of physics, so it doesn't exist. I was going to add a comment, but then I remembered it's a spoiler. <laughs> well, and, and we haven't talked much about... It, it, you don't have to come back uh, with even a human, uh, well, a, hu- a human body, but it could, it could be modified. Uh, you know, uh, Julius's old girlfriend uh, modified herself so she could walk out, walk naked out in the hard space. It made me very happy that in the future, when apparently all things are possible, there weren't just a ton of people at Disney World with their assistance dog just just crapping up the place. One of the things that one of the characters said that I thought was an interesting perspective, but I don't necessarily agree with, was he said he didn't want to be a host person, but in a world where I can be backed up, restored to a body that's, you know, 20 years younger, I can have my arms add another two or three sets of arms, if that's not post-personhood, I'm not really sure what is. Well, I think that is what they're referring to, is you can come out with something, you know, different than the uh, original human model. Yeah, I think by post-person, he meant just software only. Ah. So one thing I wanted to at least touch on before we get to the drinking and spoilers is, what did everybody think of the uh, reader's voice? and performance and such. I thought he did great. I'd like... Yeah, I, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's the same thing. I, I'd have absolutely no uh, uh, difficulties w- uh, with the reader. 
Yeah, it was kind of unremarkable. So I guess that's good in a way. Um, I didn't really pay attention to the reader. It was just, you know, very adequate for what it was. I thought it was good. Right. There are some stories where the reader becomes a character in of itself. And, and uh, you're right. This one, this one just kind of faded in the background. So let the, let the material speak for itself. Yeah, I think the book we listened to last month, the reader was more actively a part of it because you got all the different personalities were more more drastic and the voices were more drastic. I, occasionally I had a hard time with some of the more fringe characters because you know you can only make your voice do so many things. And it was one one person reading all the characters there. I was going to say I thought he did an outstanding job considering the job that he had to do. Um, the the characters in this book aren't all that dissimilar and he did a good job at letting you know when each character was speaking they they like if you read this book just the text of it i think you'd have a hard time telling them apart if it didn't say dan said this and jules said that they were they were so similar in in what they would say and when and you kind of needed that little bit of a drawl for dan just to know and dan wasn't very believable as a cowboy um I, I kind of, I didn't have to dwell on that. I just marked that up as, okay, well, they're in the future. There isn't going to be many cowboys anyway, so he's the closest thing um, and, and gets full credit for being it, and that's fine. But the first time I listened to this audiobook, it was on Cory Doctorow's podcast, and it was read by Cory. And I thought this guy did a better job than Cory did of, of keeping these personalities distinct uh, just by the use of his voice. That was actually one of the other reasons I suggested this version, this book versus um, Corey's reading of um, Eastern Standard Tribe was uh, that exactly. This, in addition to enjoying the story more, for the reasons we already talked about, I thought that this the 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 reading was better. Well, wasn't uh, everything in this book pretty much uh, first person? Uh, f- from Julia's perspective, in other words, it, everything would watch start out. off. A, Dan, watch out! There's a spoiler there. No, but there, every, everything was. You know, Dan said this, and then he would. You know, the the uh, narrator would go into Dan's voice. Whereas other books, uh, you, you'd have to use the voices to track who's talking. Uh, more of a first person versus a third person voice. Right. And as far as reading and editing quality goes, I'd give this guy an A+. I only noticed one, uh, like, editing typo. I don't know what do you call that. It's not an, I'm not going to say edito. That's ridiculous. But one little editing typo that I noticed in the entirety of, of the recording. It, it might have been in the second episode, and it was very small. It's like a single word. So, yeah, he gets, like, an A+, for his recording and his editing. Okay. Go for it. I, I take it from the commentary in the chat. This this is the point where we all go get our beverage. Yep, yep. We we can review a beverage here, and uh, and then we can get into spoilers after the beverage review. Uh, who's got a drink with them ready to review? I'm good to go. It's raining uh, cats and dogs here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, so I uh, decided to pour myself a cup of my favorite tea, which is uh, Mighty Leaf Ginger Twist. Who makes that? Uh, Mighty Leafs is the Mighty Leaf is the brand, yeah. Okay, and uh, tea with a twist of ginger. 
Yeah, it's it's a really really heavy uh, ginger herbal tea, um, and it's fantastic. Cool, cool. So it's not it doesn't have tea leaves in it. When you say herbal tea, that means there's no tea leaves, right? That's right. It's a teason. A what? Isn't that the name for an herbal tea? A teason? A teason? Oh no, I was asking. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't actually have any tea leaves in it. So it's a it's a you know an herbal tea. But I think like the proper name to be to be specific about it is a teason or a teason is a is a an herbal tea like beverage. It doesn't actually have tea leaves in it. Oh, okay, cool. And you said it's one of your favorites, so obviously you like it. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been drinking this tea for years. I was uh doing my masters at the University of Maine in Orno, and uh, I would have this tea when it would get to be about oh I don't know ten, twenty, fifteen degrees, sometimes below zero. And uh, whenever I want to read books and uh, stay warm, I make a cup of this tea. So when I knew we were having book club and it was pouring out, I knew it was time to make some uh, ginger twist. <laughs> right on. So that's so that's what like October to April. Bing. I'm about two hours south of there of uh, UMaine. Oh man, that's fantastic! I'm very envious. I uh, I graduated from UMaine. I graduated seven, from one of the and I graduated from one of the, what year? I graduated from one of the branches, of, the branches of UMaine in '08. Oh wow, man! We must have really uh, we were over we overlapped in our in our time up up in that neck of the woods. What branch of UMaine did you graduate from? Farmington, so it's way out in the mountains, out near Skowhegan, and now I live down in Wiscasset. Gotcha, gotcha. I went to school at UMO with uh, somebody from Skowhegan, and we still keep in touch regularly. And I've been to Skowhegan, and uh, I loved it. Do you drink your tea with cream or sugar or both or neither? No way, man. Straight up. But I do steep it extra long. I love. I mean, I'll I'll steep a bag of tea for sometimes ten, twelve minutes. I like it strong. Semiotic steepaholic. <laughs> so should i expect a competing episode to my coffee episode about how you make tea sadly there's nothing scientific about how i make tea i wish i was a little more scientific about it but my my goal is uh buy a good electric tea kettle fire it up get a good full leaf tea and uh experiment with different steeping times till you find one that works and then drink the same tea for years so you don't so you don't ever change anything that basically sounds like my coffee episode right there <laughs> Variety is the spice of disaster. Yeah, man, you said it. X1101, what'd you get? I am drinking a gift from a friend. It is Lognitas Imperial Stout, uh, brewed in Petaluma, up, up near Jezero's country. I think I've had that one. That's a good one, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I just had the first sip, and that is delicious. Yeah, you got my attention when you say stout. What's What's that one like? Well, my snarky answer is it's stouty. It's a um, little smoky, mm, little chocolate maybe, obviously dark enough that I can't see the other side of the glass, which is how it should be. Not much, not much head on it. Mm, very good, though. I expected it to be hoppier, being an imperial stout, but it's not, though I've been drinking IPAs for the past week, so my hop sense could be a little overloaded. Yeah, that'll temper you. Oh, I like a good smoky stout. They're not usually smoky. How is it unlike the, the creaminess? Uh, not overly creamy. It doesn't have that um, somewhere between creamy and oily texture that you usually get. But this was in a... Um, looking for the size of the bottle. Not seeing it. Well, a large-ish bottle. Prop, uh, 1.6 ounces bottle. 
Oh wow, that's huge. Yeah, so the the oil could still be at the bottom. Well, I poured it. I don't um I don't drink it out of the bottle. It's too big of a bottle. Yeah, no, I'm kidding anyway. And what about uh sweetness? Where where's it fall on that spectrum? And there's a little sweetness there, but not at all overwhelming. It just it's nicely balanced. Oh man, that sounds fantastic. I'm gonna have to look for that one. I'll snap a picture and send it to you if you want to include it in the show notes. Um yeah, I don't think I've ever included a picture in the show notes. I'll give it a try. Or if you just want to, you know, have a picture of it, you can go find it. You could probably include the uh, Beer Advocate link easier. It's not a bad idea either. 50, what are you drinking tonight? Okay, this was something I almost didn't pick up last week because, uh, well, it's from Fireman's Brew, which is in... Ukiya, U-K-I-A-H, California, and this this is this is uh, a flavor beer from them that I hadn't seen locally yet. They they have another couple of them. I think a, a, an ale and a and a lager that I you know started seeing locally oh probably three months ago and tried both of them and was not at all impressed. I didn't really like either one of them. And they're fairly expensive here, but it runs about eight bucks a six pack. So with with the experience that I had with those, I wasn't I wasn't really eager to grab this off the shelf, but this this is a it, it's their brunette beer. It's a uh, double bock and it it's made made with uh Chocolate malts and and they say imported hops. They don't say what imported hops. Uh, you know, so you know, I, I'm I'm a sucker for a chocolate stout or a chocolate box, something like that. Uh, so I did try it. It's it's okay. I you know, it's not great, but you know, there it. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot of choices around here right now for a chocolate stout. But my favorite beer. That I've ever had is Mackeson, which it, which is a milk stout also made with uh, uh, chocolate malts, and they actually they didn't really import the uh, actual Mackeson from Britain. They uh, they set up a brewery here and made it for about three years, and it I guess it didn't work for them financially, and they quit. So, but that's my favorite beer of all time, and this is sort of this. This is sort of an echo of it, but it's a very poor, distant echo. But right now, it's about as as close as I could get. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm I'm certain I'll drink this again. But it just could be so much better. Have you had Young's Double Chocolate? I have, and that that kind of tastes to me like a YooHoo. So, uh, or or is it YooHoo the, the the chocolate stuff that you shake up? The almost chocolate milk. Yeah, I mean it, it. That's okay, but that's not what I'm looking for either. I mean, it 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 tastes like chocolate and without no beer. Uh, you know, this this is not really sweet. Mac Mackeson is a sweet sweet beer by comparison. This one isn't so much. It's a little on the sweet side. A little maybe uh, from the hops, uh, maybe a little spicy or tangy. It's not. You know, no, no more than you expect from a double bock. It's it, or maybe less than you'd expect from a double bock. It's not, it's, it's not very hoppy. 
I mean, it's, it's more hoppy than an American lager, of course, but it's, it's no more hoppy than you expect from a beer, uh, a beer of this type. So, at, at least I, fa I found one, you know, one offering from this brewery that I can tolerate. Like I said, I'll have it again because, you know, of that style of beer, I don't think I have anything else I can get around here right now. There's that one milk stout that's popular i've seen it a few times but it's it it's just a milk stout lactose stout without any taste uh hint of cocoa in it so you know it's i don't think it's worth the price that's on it definitely uh but uh like i said i'm i don't have much options for this style of beer here locally right now so i guess i'll give it a thumbs up on that well two things first is eight bucks for a six pack is a is a good price in my area for a craft beer um a, a lot of them are a lot more expensive than that there's there's a, a, there's quite a few that are 10 and 12 bucks for a four pack but for a, a you know micro brews are usually eight bucks for a six pack um but what is i'm not familiar with a double bock what is what is a double bock generically oh you'd think uh being uh, being on Pod Brewers for a year, uh, I, I would be able to answer that. But uh, it's it's a type of ale. But uh, let me let me do a little uh, hitting of Wikipedia while someone else tells about their uh, their beverage. All right, Pegwell, you want to go next? Um, I'm drinking some very cheap coffee. That's all I got. Word. How do you brew it? In a French press. There you go. That helps. Cream and sugar. Cream and sugar. Booyah. Drink it black. Man's got hair in his chest. I keep looking for uh, trying to thinking about doing a French press because I've done the um, the way I do it for so long, and I keep hearing so many people talk about French press that it really does sound good. It's different. It's very strong. But it, it takes some of the bitterness. Yeah, it takes some of the bitterness out of the out of the coffee. Sounds exactly get like what I want. You get a lot more of the actual coffee flavor, not just the bitterness. And um, really, as far as getting into it, you can go to Walmart and get like a Mr. Coffee one for like 20 bucks. I mean, it's not going to be like the greatest quality French press, but it's going to last you quite a while. I've had mine for about a year now. I've gone through three of them because I'm clumsy and I often knock them off counters and break them. I bought a plastic one. Hey, you know what? X1101, there's a, a discount store near my house, and they had a, a single cup French presser. It looked like it made about eight ounces, and uh, or maybe ten. I, I, I already have a French press. I wasn't going to get it, but I could pick that up for you. You could grab it next time you swing through if you'd like. Sounds good to me. Let me know how much it is, and I'll hit you back with beers. It was like six or seven dollars. It wasn't even beers. It was like beer. Hit it with some Wolfie. Right there you on. go. Beer Wolfie. And Taj, did you say yet what you're drinking? I have not. Um, I decided to go crazy tonight, just throw caution to the wind, and uh, I have a big old tall glass of uh, water. Not any water, but tap water. Ooh, oh, daring. Did you filter at least? Nah, no, nobody got time for that. <laughs> oh, Slow man. down there, oh, man. man. Slow down there. Aren't you driving? Yeah. I'm going to party with that guy. I, I knew something had gone to your head. I wasn't sure what it was. Well or city water? I think we're on the city line right now. We actually have both. Um, we can switch back and forth, which is kind of nice. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure we're on the city line right now. Oh, go ahead, fifty. 
Okay, I get back to you. If, if uh, Tracy Holtz listens to this, he's probably going to drive up here to just to slap me. I said this was an AO. Now, uh, uh, Bach is a uh, sweet, relatively strong on alcohol, and very lightly hopped lager. Uh, a double Bach is just more the same, uh, more uh, higher alcohol content and uh, sweeter. Usually tends for uh, to be rather dark for a lager, uh, so it's, no wonder I don't taste a lot of hops. I'm, ta- I, I'm, you know, I'm tasting like the bitter dark chocolate flavor, but uh, but not re- but not really any hops because they're in a box there shouldn't be uh, <coughs> any hop presence. So okay, I'm, <coughs> I should have known that. No hops. Well, not not. It says uh, box should have no detectable hops. Like I said, I'm get it's it's a little. I mean, sweet and a little bitter. The bitter aftertaste at the same time, and that you know, it 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 tastes like eating you know Baker's chocolate essentially. So it's got hops, but it's not a a uh, a platform for the hops to stand up on and, and yell its name at you. Right, right. I, you know, I'm, I am not traditionally a big fan of hoppy beer. I mean, I, you know, I always like to try new beers, but, you know, there, there seems to be this tendency these days for, you know, my hops can beat up your hops, and, uh, you know, just, just have hops and no, no nothing else in the beer. Definitely. I've said I had a before. beer. Every store has has five to fifteen IPAs, and you're lucky if it has a stout. I uh, had a uh, an IPA over the weekend that was from Stone, which everything I've had from them is fantastic. But they used what they were calling hop bursting, where at the end of the brewing process, where there usually isn't hops, they take and chuck a whole bunch more hops in it. So it's basically hops with a finish of more hops. Oh, that would be a really, that sounds like a not fun aftertaste. Yo, oh, dog. I loved it. Yo, dog, I heard you like hops. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> how it was. I think there's a beer that actually says that on the box. I have to find that. Uh, okay, so now 50, it sounds like it. it's like, um, when they say double, does that mean like double fermentation? No, it just, uh, just, uh. Just extra. Means more intense. Yeah, just extra, just more. Uh, probably sweeter than the regular Bach, and also uh, higher alcohol content. Though the <laughs> Wikipedia story says that traditionally a regular uh, Bach can go from 6.3 to 7.2 percent. This is 8 uh, percent beer, so th- this will catch up to you pretty fast. Yeah, that sounds it. I I usually one of my go-to beers if if they've got it, I usually grab it. Is um. Long Trail. It's a Vermont brewery. They've got a beer called Double Bag, and it sounds like you're almost describing Double Bag, but I know that's a double fermented. I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's a double fermented beer, but it's it's um it's got just enough hops to to make it beer, but yeah, it's it's pretty uh, heavy and malty and and not too sweet. That's you might if, might try looking out for that one. I see that all the time, but with a with a pokey stamp of approval like that, I've got to I'm gonna try that. Oh, it's if. It's my go-to beer if they have it. If they don't have it, I'll grab Sam Adams, of course. But if they've got that, and I, I don't, feel, and I usually grab it if they have it, just because I like it that much. And if, and then like if I feel like experimenting, I'll experiment. And if not, then it's Sam Adams. Like Sam's my number two. 
but okay, so, sorry? That has to be the thing I absolutely love, having moved up here from from the Midwest, is just the plethora of micro and craft breweries. You know, when I usually, when I, I told my mother when I went to visit her to get me some IPA and I expected, you know, Sam Adams, because that's craft brew where I'm, where I grew up, and... I was pleasantly surprised to get something else. Whereas here, you know, a craft brew, as you said, you can spend 10 or $12 and get four beers and not feel ripped off. Yeah, yeah. I, I still have to try Yingling. I'm, we're still just a little too far north to get that. Oh, man. I Next time I head homeward, I'll get some and stop and drop it off. Cool. That sounds cool. great. That sounds great. I almost cracked one of those tonight instead of the team, and uh, it was a tough call, but Yingling is my go-to. Nice. Listen, I can't, I can't wait much longer. I've got a really special beer here tonight, and I'm dying of heat exhaustion here. i got to try this thing. Such anticipation. Sorry, I'm pouring it. Man, this thing's a very aromatic beer. I'm, I'm pouring it, and I can smell it from, like, two feet away. It's a uh, it's Dogfish Head is the name of the brewery. They're out of Milton, Delaware. And I'm already this, jealous. And this one is the Saison du Buff, if I'm... Uh, pronouncing that correctly and I just poured this thing down the very edge of the glass and it's got like an inch and a half ahead I have I didn't even get the whole uh, 12 ounces in my glass which I, I usually have no problem doing this thing built up ahead real fast tons of bubbles coming up the side and uh, the guy at the um, the beer store no sorry not the beer store excuse me a place called uh, craft beer cellar in Nashua New Hampshire he recommended it I told him I needed one that had a lot of character because I had to review it. And he said, oh, get this. There's all kinds of spices and stuff in it. So the, the bottle says it's ale that's brewed with parsley, uh, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Oh, yeah, and it smells like, uh, I don't know, like a, oh, shoot, what's that tree? Like a, a cedar. It almost smells like a cedar tree, like this, the needles, you know? Man, that sounds great. Yeah, I was about to say, that sounds pretty fantastic and refreshing. I don't think I had that one, but I'm sure when uh, I went to Philly last year that uh, that one pub that just had like 50, 60 beers uh, on the on the menu had something from Dogfish Head that I tried. Wow, this is fantastic. He was absolutely right. This, there's like six or eight flavors in here that are all kind of roll over each other. It's, it's real sweet. It's very sweet. It's... Um, light in color it's pouring out of the bottle it almost looked clear but once it's in the glass it's it's got quite a bit of yellow to it It looks like a maybe a blonde ale um and the the head is just almost pure white it's um damn it's really good it's got just all kinds of spices and it's like almost peppery at the finish it's uh it's something man i I wish i was one of those super taster guys who could taste a million different things at once i'm I'm more of like a troglodyte but this is i can tell this is special the guy didn't lie to me this is a definite thumbs up i had something from them over the last weekend that actually had a little bit of wasabi in the finish and that was really interesting oh that's cool I, I shared it with a couple of people, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, there's the wasabi. And it took me about half my glass before I got it. It's real, re- it was really, really faint on the tail end. Oh, 50, this is the beer you ought to drink on um, on Colonel Panic Nights, because this is, I can tell already, this is real belchy. <laughs> oh, Pickwell's already told me about the beer on the uh, on the Colonel Panic Nights. 
Yeah, you kind of have a tendency to, <laughs> to just blow right into your microphone. Yeah, this is cool. I wish I knew how to describe this, but it's very complex. I'll, I, I can say that. I can't really put much of a finger on it better than that, just so I'm not, not good enough as a, a beer reviewer. But, yeah, this is something. I wish I bought more than one now. Like this, That store, if you ever can get to the craft beer seller, and there, there appears to be uh, quite a few of them. They're like a chain. But they let you break up all the six-packs, and you can just make your own six-pack out of whatever's in the store. Each beer is, is priced individually, like by the bottle. Yeah, I've got one of those like, two miles up the road. Oh, you lucky duck. They don't usually have very – it's not a craft brew store that does that. It's kind of – well, it's called Treats, and it's kind of a, just a fine consumables. It's got cheese and wine and olives and baked goods, and it just happens to have a little corner in the back with beers and make your own four- or six-pack. I'm guessing they probably sell, like, bowls and rolling papers and stuff too. No, no, it's not that kind of place. Very touristy, that town. Oh, you're lucky. The only place near me that lets you uh, break up a six-pack or even has a really good selection, uh, to, like they have half the stores like bowls, you know, it's just, it's obnoxious. Though, give the state a couple of years and maybe we'll legalize and then maybe they will start selling that stuff. Yeah. And it's not that I have a problem with it. I just don't, I don't know. It just seems to be like a big, ridiculous, obnoxious distraction. Get that, its own store, and get it out of my beer store. Yeah, kind of. Uh, did we get everybody? I think we did. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry, we got a full crew tonight, and yeah, boy, the um, the uh, carbonation in this one is is pushing it in quick. I can already feel a, a slight effect from this beer. All right, who wants to spoil this thing? Well, Pokey, and it's probably something you, you noticed uh, since you're talking about the inconsistencies. Uh, in the book, when you know when Ju- Julius loses all his Wolfie, you know, and and you see, you know, he he, lo- he loses the ability to have this apartment, the Magic Kingdom. So you know, so you know, he he, he moved from the house he shared with his girlfriend to, you know, a, a suite in or a room in the um, the modern pavilion or whatever. That's that's where I stayed when I was a kid. We went to the Magic Kingdom, the not kind of like a regular hotel room, but real good views but uh uh but then he you know he when he loses all his wolf he can't even get that you know it's like no you can't stay on the park there and and he they didn't mention what he talked about his college experiences you know you can get not even like a cubicle it's just like a you know like one of these uh chinese or japanese hotels where you rent you know like a coffin shaped space that you crawl up into um you know, and he, he loses his ability to have a car. You know, somebody just takes his car, decide, decides that I'm more important than you are, so I can just take your car that you've been using. But it gets down to the point, I guess, I guess he can still eat. He couldn't eat in the park. They won't feed him there. So he's got to, you know, go out to wherever the great unwashed masses eat and eat there. Uh, but the one thing that they said that he lost his network access, and maybe that's because he's no longer got it wired into his head. Yes, I, that, that was, I did notice that. Because, yeah, you know, that's one of the things that, the, the two things, the, the two things they established early in the book was, you know, no matter how much of a bum you are in a drag on society, you get to eat and you get network access. You know, he even said travel. He said travel and network access. You can even get around. Well, they will, you know, he, you know, uh, he, he, ta- uh, when he uh, hooks up with the girl who killed him, 
you know, and they they can go into space, you know, so they still he still has travel. Oh no, but he had a pile of woofy after that. I was gonna say he had buckets of sympathy woofy at that point. Right, because after that was after the big reveal where it was revealed that he was actually murdered uh in a scheme to uh to advance Deborah's uh ad hoc, right? Yeah. But yes, that was one of the inconsistencies that I noticed was when his handheld stopped working, I went, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. And I didn't catch that until, like I said, the third time I went through this book, I, I, I was today, you know, all in one sitting at high speed. And I, I kind of, you know, I like I like his word. I flash baked it. I love Although, that description. Didn't, uh, when he was, you know, he was thinking out his options, didn't, didn't. You know, thinking aloud or, you know, writing it or whatever. He was thinking about going back to space even before uh, Dan publicly told about what what he did to him. Yeah. Well, I think he he went back to space just because he he realized he's finally done with Disney World. He's finally he's outgrown it. Um you know, he kept going back there as, you know, hanging on to the past, hanging on to this old thing. But he finally kind of evolved out of it. Um, Lil's parents told him, you know, your uh, Magic Kingdom's no good for you and you're surely no good for it. And he said he realized it as they, you know, at the same same time or just before. So he finally realized it's not good for him. He's It's, it's holding him down, it's holding him back. And he's just destroying it. Even at the end when he, uh, you know, kind of, quote unquote, wins and gets all that sympathy woofy and, and everyone realizes that he was actually murdered. He was right the whole time, sort of, uh, even that he tore it all down again, that they, they went back and, and destroyed all that work again. So he, he had to get out of there. Well, yeah. And that's part of it. I, I mean, I kind of agree with everyone around Julius that, uh, you know, his whole efforts to uh, destroy Deborah's organization by by doing these underhanded things were, you know, were completely non-productive to his own cause. I think particularly because he was so bad at being subtle. Yeah, subtlety was not his strong suit. You're absolutely right. He had the subtlety of a drunken bull in a china shop. Yeah, I was going to say a hoodie and a crowbar is not subtle. Well, no, and neither is chasing around the naked girlfriend all over the space station and bumping into everyone who's screwing. But apparently that's very popular. Well, in space, everything's popular. I've already bought my ticket. Cost me like six HBR episodes worth of woofy, but I bought my ticket. Now that's something we 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 could do. Instigate a deal where you get woofy when you uh, post an episode and, you know... People listen to it. They can give you Wolfie about how good it was. Well, we already have that. We got the feedback. You know, you can comment on a show if you like it. I try to. I try to comment on, on you know, as many as I can. Yeah, HPR is already pretty much a meritocracy where, you know, if you put good stuff out, people pretty much appreciate you and tell you about it. Yeah, it's pretty bitching. Definitely bitching. That should go in the pr- new promo. So... Here's another inconsistency that I found and didn't didn't notice it again. I didn't notice this until the third time, you know, flashback in the book is why couldn't they make a backup of him just because the shit in his head didn't work anymore? That shouldn't affect anything. I mean, originally there were people who got backed up. They didn't have you can't tell me they had implants before they learned how to back people up. Nobody would volunteer to go under the knife for that experiment. 
Oh, well, no, that... no, because you, Julius Julius was alive before they did, you know, before the bit, you know, he was on the tail end of the not pitching society. It, he was 20 years old before they had the pitching society and had that, you know, had, were, were post labor and, uh, be, you know, before they had the before they had the tech, you know, so I've, you know, he even talks about it, that he did have the implant surgically implanted the first time. That leads, those two ideas lead into the thing that I had seen was kind of exactly what uh, 50 was talking about, where that first generation that was alive during the revolution when the bitchin' society took over, they had to have started out as 100% biological and at some point had those cochlear implants implanted. I know that every, and every generation that was born has to start out as, you know, 100% flesh and blood and then have the cochlear implants implanted and then from there the any clones that they have could have it grown in or whatever so if his broke why couldn't they rip it out and put a new one in other than the fact that that's a huge plot device and would totally trash the story well, right because there's, there's that there were no well of course yeah the doctor said well we can't do that but obviously they have to do it for adolescence the uh the first time i mean this is one of the things we talked about <laughs> That Wolfie could buy for you, uh, that you know, if you if you had high enough Wolfie, you could actually get real doctors. The doctor in this story was a guy. All he knew to say was, "Nope, you're uh, you're sick. Uh, we need to restore you from backup." A technician, not a doctor. Exactly. There, you know, the the uh, the implication was, yeah, it was probably scientifically possible, but. He wasn't worth doing, you know, like the first heart transplants. You know, uh, if you had to pay for it yourself, uh, you would have to be Howard Hughes to be able to afford it. And this was, you know, this kind of thing here. You're not important enough for for us to to spend these resources on uh, keeping your screwed up body alive and and uh, no, it. it still doesn't work though because he had plenty at the end of the book and it's not his body that he's trying to keep alive it's his memories of Dan that he's trying to keep alive so at the end of the book when he's got loads and loads of woofy if there's someone on the planet who knows how to either implant new technology or extract the memories for his next backup You'd think he would have done that, and and in the context of the story, that there isn't someone who can do that, but there kind of has to be because there's still there's Lil. Lil's only twenty years old, and she's naturally born. She wasn't cloned, so she had to have had that the the you know the the hardware, the wetware, whatever you want to call it, uh, implanted. Did they ever actually say that though? Did they not ever, did ever actually? Did they ever actually say that she was born and not concocted, for lack of a better word? Yeah, they, they you know her. She's only she's only in reality twenty or so years old. No, but he's right. You're you're right. X one one oh one. They they said it said that she was uh, their daughter, but you're right. It didn't say that you know anyone went through um, the the birthing process or even copulation. You're right. She could have been a a, a gene spliced clone for all we know. Well, that's I mean, true. You could you could you. you you, you could clone the fertilized egg, I guess, and then, you know, uh, take with all the stuff in there and boom, here you are, your, you know, your newborn daughter. 
I, maybe it's just me, and I maybe made this up as part of my head canon to make it make sense. And Pokey, you probably know because you just read it. Wasn't there some reference to his like physical brain damage, and that's why they couldn't do it? Like in my mind, it was like the biological hooks they needed to plug it in were not there anymore, or were not functioning. See, I got it was completely the other way. It was the circuitry attached to his biology that was broke. That's what I understood as well. And one thing that really stuck out to me is how people just go, yeah, I'm just going to do crack. That's what I'm going to do today. <laughs> but, it was decaf but it was decaf crack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they didn't want to get the jitters. That's not something everybody does? Damn right. No, actually, you guys are both right. Um, the doctor did say that it was a malfunction with his brain or with the brain uh, hardware interface from his clone. But I am certain the doctor was wrong. He was taking a guess at it because the hardware failed. The hardware failed. It, it got fried when he took the hit from that Herf gun. Um, he, he didn't know he got hit from the Herf gun until a day or so later. And he never admitted that to the doctor or to anybody else. Only him and Dan knew that. Um, I, the, I think the doctor made an assumption there because, again, he's just a technician. This hardware's failing. The only way that I can think it failed was during your backup because that's only, was it eight weeks after that, that that he went to see the doctor for that? Not even, I don't think. So that's a, that's an interesting point. Uh, how come wasn't Dan fried? Because if it, were, if it bounced off the uh, Faraday no. cage around the ride... Would it would it would have got both of them? So I I always wondered, you know, Dan just didn't say, okay, you're being a dick, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but you're 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 being unreasonable and point and pointed at Julius intentionally. Well, because I, I don't think it was that it bounced so much as that it was directional and it was fired from below Julius, so it was fired through him and towards the attraction. Yes, absolutely. He told Dan to set it to its its widest spread so that it would hit it like a cone. It would fire out a cone, and he wanted the, the widest possible cone, uh, first of all. So, yes, it did hit him because it was below his head. And it, he said it was highly directional, but he said to, to you know make the cone its widest possible. So it hit him. Um, I don't think anything bounced off of the shielding because I'm pretty sure I, I'm not – I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that's not the way a Faraday cage works. I think it just kind of absorbs it and, and grounds it out. But that was something that I had the benefit of realizing the second time that I listened to the book. Um, I knew that his head got damaged at some point, so I, I the second time through listening to this, I paid close attention to the timeline uh, so that I could keep the story straight. But I had the... the added benefit of forgetting how the book ended so even the second time i i listened to it i forgot that it was dan that that pulled the trigger so that was all a surprise to me but you know this whole point we're going over was a really big sticking point to me not so much when i i guess it was my third time through it really hit home because i read it i listened to it before i recommend it and then i listened to it again just in the last week or so and the last time i listened to it i'm like wait a minute they there has to be the ability to put this in to people the only thing I can think is maybe the stuff that was in him was damaged enough that they couldn't take it out to put a new one in, or he just wasn't worth their time, would have been the other one. But that, again, gets shot in the in the foot at the end when he becomes worth their time. Yeah, I think you're right. That's the only thing that I thought of was that it, it could not be replaced. It could only be implanted that first time. I, I think I think we have – I think I have to go with that because I couldn't think of another one. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to invent something here, but uh, it's possible that you know he's working with an older version of the technology, right? Or or a, or a post like post adolescent version of the technology. Maybe somebody of Lil's generation, for example, gets the technology implanted at birth, and so it grows with them. Uh, but his was put in, you know, as folks have already pointed out, uh, when he was about 20 years old. So his version might be different and obsolete. He was yeah, on his he's, second or he's, third clone at that point, so it would have been only – sounded like it was only like a decade old. Yeah, he had just been murdered, you know, six months before, you know, uh, or a year, I guess, uh, eventually. I mean, it it would have been refreshed the, the year before when Dan killed him, and you – you would assume they would do upgrades when they're when they're growing the clone. It wouldn't. It would. It, they're not cloning the hardware. They got just. They got to build the hardware like any other electronic device. I don't think they're using nanobots to create it. And even if they were, they, it, it, he would he would have had the latest hardware. Yeah, that's very true. And the fact remains that you can you know you can be age apparent whatever. So and Dan shifts Dan shifts uh, apparent age you know, in the middle of the, or about a third of the way through the book. So yeah, that, uh, that, that, that shoots that theory. Now, what about Dan? Did, did, what did you guys think of him as a character? Well, up until the end, when you find out that it was his doing that Jules gets murdered, I found him interesting. And at the end, I guess I still found him interesting. and I couldn't decide whether I liked him or didn't like him. The word I want to use for him, at first I liked him, but the word I want to use for him, I can't right now. Um, <laughs> this episode was, uh, has the explicit tag, so go for it. He was kind of a dick. Um, at, at first, you know, he seemed kind of cool and nice, you know, helping Jules out with, you know, getting food and all this other stuff and just whatever. And like sharing his stories and all that, but then... Well, you find out later, you know, he has him killed, but and he also ends up hooking up with Jules's girlfriend. It's not really that cool. It's kind of a he's not really, a, you know, much of a bro there. Well, there, you know, I think we've all met people like this who have tons of charisma and, you know, they're 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 like because everybody wants to like the guy. And but, they're you know, they're sort of a user of all the people around them. Right. And I, I think that through Dan, we get a little commentary from Corey, like through Dan and through his character development, through his through his actions, we get a little commentary from Corey about, you know, the plausibility of a society based entirely on reputation. It still does not eliminate selfishness. And uh, Dan turns out to be a really, really selfish character. You find out throughout, you know, especially toward the end. It also, I think, goes to talks about how volatile i know i brought this up earlier but how volatile a reputation-based economy would be i mean it could take you 10 years to build a good reputation and one petty thing to blow the whole thing the volatility makes that that reminds me of something i wanted to say earlier um if it is that volatile and it it seems to be and it seems like it would be um i can imagine that just based on your location you have uh, runaway inflation. Like I, I can see things in some places, very little woofy goes a very long way. And then in other places, like desirable places to be, like the Magic Kingdom, it takes tons of woofy to get anything done at all. Um, uh, which I just, has, uh, we can get back to that or skip it or whatever. It's not really that important. What I wanted to ask, do you guys think Dan really was a dick? Was he just a dick? Or 
did he have a, a, a lapse? Did he have like a, a because he lost all his woofy and, and was broke and couldn't get anything done that he just had a weakness and, and would he be okay if he was okay again? No, I think he was maybe sort of a sociopath. I mean, you know, it, it's so easy for him to make friends and get people to do what he wants to do because everybody wants to hang out with the cool kid. Uh, you know, he can afford to sacrifice friends. He, he just doesn't really understand. He has no concept. But that's only when he's popular. You know, he does still kind of need friends to, you know, lift him back up when he's burned out. I don't know. I see Dan is like completely everything he does is totally justifiable by their economic system. Like if you take like the example of Jules car, like someone just takes it because they don't think he deserves it anymore. I, I see Dan as being like as much as he preached and railed against things. He's like the perfect epitome of how that system works. And Jules is just old enough to remember something different. I think you're well, right, I mean, and I think the only thing that made Dan a dick is that he's old enough to remember something different. Because even Lil said it. They were like, dude, they only killed you. It's not like they did something permanent. Right. I mean, it's not like murder is actually a crime. I guess if they could have caught the girl in the beginning, there might have been some consequences. But there's there's absolutely no mention in the book of anything like a justice system. However, he did take Lil, and that's a dick move. Uh, I, I realize the only, it seems like the only, pardon me, it seems like the only two things of any scarcity whatsoever are real estate and quality people. And clearly Lil is a quality person, or at least an interesting one, but uh she bails on Jules so fast that I don't think she's that much a quality person. So I, I, I think taking her was a dick move of Dan's. She bails, but da or, but uh, Jules is also practically batshit crazy during the time she bails. So, I mean, there might be a little bit of a reason for her to do that. Yeah, she's used to people on mood-altering mood drugs uh, automatically including uh, implanted in your brain because the computer in there says, yeah, we need to mail you out a little bit. I mean, I don't know why people should take crack, would want to be smoking crack. They could just uh, tell their computer to just flood their head with drugs. Or dopamine, yeah, the result of drugs. No, I, I kind of, I saw what Lil did as not being uh, excusable or inexcusable. I just thought it was being immature. I think anybody who'd been around long enough would have known, hey, there's really actually something wrong here, and we have to figure out what it is. Whereas she was just like, well, there's something wrong here, and it's all about me. Um, that's just an immature way to look at things, and I, I can I can understand that because she was only 20 compared to his 100 and Dan's 100 and plus. Um, but I, I I don't know. I, I still don't think that excuses Dan. I don't think that I don't think that's any indication of her being a, a you know spectacularly quality person. Well, I mean, ultimately, I I mean, I keep going back to the economy. I think that that's part of that. Like, if you're to get woofy, like you do things for other people, which it, it looks like a good idea, but really, you're always doing it for this selfish motivation to to make more. So I could I could see you know it. A lot of people being all about themselves. In a society where there's no scarcity and everybody has their meads net, their meads net. Wow. Okay. So this beard did get to me. Do you think that there is or can be such a thing as altruism? Well, on one hand, everybody who's maintaining the park is doing it because they care about the park. 
and they care about people's experiences when they come to the park, but they're also doing it to gain the reputation of having done it. So maybe. I think at first, like emotion would be the reason why altruism would still work. But I think over time that would wear away. Like people would just get rid of it. I think the people who are old enough to remember, you know, like somebody does something for you really nice and it's thoughtful, you know, that would be, you know, they might do it not because of wealthy, just because. But as people compared that against other things where they got rewarded, I think it would slowly fade away. It's it's to me, it's the same thing as like the kids in my classroom. Every time you ask them to do something, the first thing that they ask is, well, what do I get? And it's all about that. And I see it just kind of an extension of that going forward. And I see the people working in the park. A lot of it is, you know, doing something just to be doing something, to have something to do, to give to to uh, uh, give their life meaning. I mean, if you have robots, you know, building your spaceships and doing all that for you, certainly you could have robots running around keeping the uh park running running forever it's just i guess one thing the scare there's scarcity of something to do to actually give your life meaning i mean not everybody can uh you know write symphonies or or you know come out with these new mass transit plans yeah well, I, th- I think that was dan's main point into why he ended up well why he was going to kill himself and ended up deadheading was the scarcity of something interesting yeah, yeah. I see uh, like the like everybody that we see is into creative things. And maybe that's like the one thing that they can't reproduce, you know, creativity or like art in general, because even when they're talking about redoing the mansion and stuff in the Hall of Presidents, like it's all in a way an artistic pursuit. And the Imagineers, that's an artistic pursuit. Like that's writing symphonies. That's an artistic pursuit. Like maybe that's something that they haven't been able to quantify in the Wolfie system. And so that's what people are drawn to to do. I am 100% with you, Taj, on that and on the last thing you said, too. I do not think that running the park is an act of altruism. I was going to say, I think running the the park is an expression of art. And I don't know where I heard it. I heard it a long time ago, but I've heard that uh, poor people or the lower class, they want their kids to be middle class and middle class uh, you know, workers, they want their kids to be, you know, technicians and scientists and, and doctors. And those people, technicians, scientists and doctors, the upper class, they want their kids to be artists. It always seems to come around to artists. And then artists, uh, I forget what they said artists want their kids to be, but it seems like in this society, yes, fed. artists, say again? <laughs> fed. They want them to be fed? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and yes, it does seem like everything that people are working towards in here is art. And if all your science is taken care of, that actually makes sense. Right. That's sort of a, uh, harkens back to what we were talking about a little bit ago with the pursuit of the unique, right? When everything else can be copied, the perpetual pursuit is uh, that thing. Well, we're, we're constantly in pursuit of that thing that, that can't be that, – that, that is a, a once occurrence, like that, that novelty, right? The constant pursuit of novelty because once it occurs um, – you know, we have the the flash of uniqueness and creativity that then can be, you know, quantified, copied and relegated to sort of the, the dustbin in, in the search of the of the new again. Well, and that's exactly what I think the flash baking is the first time is that it's something clever and new and mind blowing. And then they want to do it for everything because, hey, this was a cool trick and it worked. 
Yeah, yeah. See, then that kind of scares me because I'm not very artistic. I mean, I'm creative, but I'm not artistic. Uh, but I can I can copy like geometric patterns. Uh, you know, as far as art, I can do that to like a fractal degree, but I can't make like something creative and unique. I can't imagine things and then make them real from that. It's just not, that's not my talent. So I would be one of the dudes living in the little, you know, below ground coffins, eating the goop from a dispenser. Well, I mean, Julius says that at one point, you know, he says that folks who, who do the who do the do some of the work, like he says, the, the, the dull repetition of labor and, and he says, you know, tending bar or mopping up toilets, he says those people command a lot of woofy uh, and they, 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 you know, enjoy a ton of leisure time because they accumulate a lot of uh, goodwill for the tasks that they do. And like you're talking about, like not being artistic i think artistic in a broad sense like um past just like physical art or like creative art um i i kind of like i'm going back to like way back to star trek like that's probably like the biggest example of a post-scarcity society that pretty much everybody's familiar with if you're not in starfleet or something like that and you're a human being because humans are the the ones that are post-scarcity um if you're not into science and exploring you're you're like a chef or like you run a winery or like it's you know art can take lots of different forms you could argue that even being an explorer or scientist is a form of art like there there's there's something behind that i mean obviously in in like a star trek or even in this world they probably can send robots to do all the exploring they'd ever need to do like it's probably really inefficient to send the humans to do it but they still do it because there's something there to do and it's it's fulfilling in a way and at least you know in the star trek you know comparison there are things that we're human beings we are still better at than anything we can build right Impro- we can put- improvisation <laughs> that's that's about it that, yeah, exactly we, we can put a ton of robots on mars but we still want to go there i mean if you told me i could go there right now i'd be like all right time me up uh, it's just there's there's something there you know it's 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 some drive that i think some people have and if you have nothing else to do why wouldn't you follow that well taj there is a place you can sign up go to mars that will never happen that mars one thing i'm it'll never happen how much oh, of your I'm money not- did you give them <laughs> no i just somebody's gonna it, there's too much uh too much prestige that can be won um by doing that that they'll let just some upstart come up and do it. Somebody else will do it first. Uh, that's woofy, Taj. Right? Yeah, I, you guys can have Mars. I'd rather just go to the woods. It'll be Mark Shuttleworth. Now, since I asked, I, I thought Dan, I saw him a little differently. I didn't think he was a dick by nature. I thought he got desperate and made a bad choice that he kind of got stuck in. Um, and then it's kind of like a... Um, you know, like a downward spiral when you make a bad choice and another bad choice presents itself, but it looks good. I think that was, you know, just more weakness with Lil. Um, I, I, I think he might have discovered that he was a hypocrite, uh, being that he, you know, once the woofy was gone, he really couldn't live his life, you know, where, where he would like to go out to these remote places where Woofy didn't mean anything. And he, you know, but he kept accumulating all this Woofy, so he stayed comfortable. Um, as far as that goes, he reminded me of a, a buddy of mine who's like the most likable person on earth. Um, and just everywhere I go, everybody likes this guy and, and, and I love him. He's like one of my best friends. Um, I kind of pictured him as, as him, as my buddy. Uh, he, 
not that my buddy's ever gone through a thing where he turned into a dick, but just that likable side of him reminded me of him a lot. And I, I could really see where Jules was coming from, where he he really loved Dan, um, you know, as a friend, not like, you know, boy, girl love or, or boy, boy love, but just a friend love. Um, there was no romance. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They were just really kindred spirits. They were they were close and. I think he meant it when he said he did forgive Dan. Um, and I don't think that that's because Jules was so altruistic that he could forgive the act. I think it was because he loved Dan. He, he could forgive Dan for anything. He, he couldn't have forgiven anybody else for that. Well, you do have to take into account, too, that being murdered doesn't mean that much. It was a very minimal inconvenience to him. It meant, it meant a lot to him. He took it. He took it very seriously. He took it so seriously that people took note of how seriously he took it. Well, and in the end, it did cost him. I mean, eventually it's going to cost him, you know, decades uh, 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 of his life that he won't remember when he gets recycled the next time. But all the things that cost him were because of choices he made. He could have blown it off like no big deal because he made a backup like 15 minutes before. If somebody told you they needed to, you to do something and it was going to cost you a day of your life and it was a good friend of yours, you would probably laugh it off, do it, and not even – I mean it's like Dan asked him to help him move. I've helped people move that takes more time than he was inconvenienced. Um, okay, so you said that everything bad happened to him because of his choices. I think I can counter that and say that all of his choices were made because he was victimized. If he wasn't feeling like a victim, he would not have made many of his bad choices. Well, I think also, in, uh, I'm sorry. sorry not, the uh, Him being murdered put Deborah closer to her goal, which she eventually achieved of, uh, you know, taking over not the, not just the Hall of Presidents, but the uh, the Haunted Mansion as well. Right, and that's exactly what I was going to say, 5150. I think that Julius wasn't so upset about being murdered. It wasn't the actual act that really frustrated him, even though he he did not enjoy it. He says several times, I don't enjoy being brought back to life. But it was what it represented, right? It was this moment of betrayal from who he – this guy that he really does genuinely love, like his, his best friend in the whole world. And instead, he, you know, his best friend betrays him in the in the most insidious way possible. He's teaming up with his arch rival, Deborah, who uh, Julius obviously disrespects and has, has no faith in and who he who sees as unimaginative and just sort of – I mean he respects her, her skill and her craft. But he he doesn't he doesn't like what she's what she is going to do to the park. And so I think when we're talking about, you know, how Julius feels towards Dan, it's more the symbol, the symbolicity of the of being of being murdered by his friend. It's it's why would you why would you do this to me? Because you teamed up uh, with somebody, you know, I I don't like and who's actively trying to undermine me. And, you know, uh you know, cut uh, all all these changes uh, towards flashbacking. I mean, that kind of make uh, you know. I I kind of developed an interest in the rides while I was going through this. I mean, I've I've been to Disneyland and Disney World, but kind of rekindled that. We might talk about that before we quit. But you know, the point was made in the book. Why rip out the original ride if you're just going to do flashback? You can put that on the net, and people can uh, people can experience it anywhere. You know, I guess you could do, and I'm certain they, you know, why they have vids, that, that's a good question. What, uh, maybe the flashback is such a new thing 
but why sit down and watch a vid for three hours where you could just flash bake the story and you could be the star of the vid uh, through the whole thing? And it seems like that's, uh, you know, I, I could see it would be cool. Oh, we'd have a ride and, you know, you can walk in and actually experience your own personal ghost story. You know, this, this is one of the things we, like we talked about before, you know, you can't, you can't really have a ghost story in the real world. But you can you can uh, flashback it, and you can actually, you know, then remember being being chased by ghosts and vampires or or or, or whatnot. Uh, so, but you know, why rip out the ride to do that? Why not just uh, have it floating around on the net? Real estate. It the the importance of that was real estate. It was the location of the thing. Um, Jules said it. They could have done that anywhere. They could have done it anywhere else, and it would have been probably just as well received. I just don't think it would have come with uh, the the scale of Woofy, you know, that that comes with doing it there. And uh, I'm like, I'm totally on Lil's side with preserving the Rube Goldberg machine, you know, just because it is art. Um, as far as keeping keeping the park the way it is, um, I like it for its mechanical intricacy. I'm not with Jules for keeping it the way that it is just because it can be um, consistent. I, I don't I don't like his idea. I think I think you know they had very different motives for doing what they did, and I'm on Lil's side and not Jules's in, in this particular case. Well, I actually have it enhanced some of the effects at uh you know for for that ride uh since they both opened i think in 1969 for the one in uh, california i think it's the next year or later that same year for the for the one in florida both both of them they're they're they've made subtle improvements but you know i i was i said i'd like to get on this before we quit i know it's getting late but i you know uh, I went back through and watched some YouTube videos on how how the effects, like the ballroom and everything, were actually done. And you know, it's it's just really. I mean, actually, the the visual effects is is stuff that that dates back to the 1800s that they're that they're doing. And uh, you know, it, it's uh, you know, I just thought it was incredible. Hey, they were you know they they had this whole elaborate thing built in in uh 1969 this is supposed to be 300 years in the future and it hasn't been altered until then but jules himself came up with all these ideas oh we're gonna rip out the tracks i mean they talk about ripping the big reflective uh window out out of the place and i've got a little history on on that so you know once you do that it's no longer the haunted mansion as uh, any of us know it anyway so I'm not so sure I see too much difference between, you know, having your animatronic uh, ghouls run by people, you know, run by sad people working from their uh, from home. Though I just, no, I shouldn't say this, uh, but uh, you know, uh, you know, outsourced to the internet, you know, pe- people are going to be running these ghouls around. Uh, Telepresence, it, they called it. Right, it's going to be complete. It's going to be a completely different uh, ex- experience after three, four hundred years or whatever it's been. Well, I guess that's been that long because Jules is, on, is only a uh, hundred or so, two hundred years, let's say. Uh, 
Yeah, so he's all he's all for that, you know, this sort this sort of halfway measure that he's come up with. But after, you know, after things have been pres- preserved as as is for 200 years, I think you know, you you change it and you lose all the history. Yeah, I I think Jules was a hypocrite to do all that. And, and I mean, absolutely he was a hypocrite. It then at first what he was talking about was preserving the place and so was Lil for you know their own reasons what you just said but yes when he did that when he said we have to change to stay ahead of Deborah that was just a competition for possession that was not he, he went totally became a hypocrite at that point but I will stand by my earlier statement and say that I think he did that because he was victimized I don't know that he would have made that same choice if he wasn't feeling I mean, everyone's been a victim. Everybody knows that feeling uh, of of complete powerlessness and and weakness and desperation. And I think that's where he was when he when he made that decision. And we were talking. Go ahead. We were talking about things that bugged us a little bit. This kind of just popped in my head. I'm sorry for interrupting this part. But when he was going to be restored from one backup and the doctor says that he's stroke prone. And it actually goes into detail about how he died from a stroke at one point, and uh, he remembered all of that. Why in the backups can they not fix that? That's something that kind of did bug me. Well, you've got a point. If they can give you extra elbows, uh, you know, what, why couldn't why couldn't they fix that? Oh, I think that's just because it was genetic that he was stroke prone, not not software. Well, they're not giving you extra elbows and software. I mean, they had people walking around with, you know, extra arms, uh, more joints than the rest of us. Uh, you know, I, I I think Corey was a little confused. He said, you know, reverse jointed like a uh, like a bird or something at one point. And really, they have the same joints and legs we do, just at different lengths. You know, or like a cat or something. You know, uh, cat that. You know, uh, it only looks like it's backwards because you're looking at the what we think of as a knee on, say, a cat or a dog. That's actually their heel, and they're walking on their toes, and they've still got a knee. It's just they have incredibly short thighs. So, uh, by comparison, yeah, but and, those but those things are all surgical. Yeah, but no, these people are being cloned with you know, with extra parts we don't have. So why couldn't you fix a congenital heart dis- uh, condition or, or an aneurysm or something before I, the next generation? I don't generation? think they were, I don't think they were being cloned that way. I think he, I think he was talking about them being surgically altered and he even made mention of gene splicers turning out to be complete, complete uh, freaks. And, and uh, he said he didn't want to turn out like one of them because they were just, apparently that was just not um, perfected then. Well, we talked about gene splicing earlier. I didn't think of it then, but yeah, he did say he didn't want to turn out like one of those gene splicing weirdos or freaks or something. I forget the word he used. Okay. I have to disagree. I think these people were just you know, they, th- they think of something new they want on their body and they throw away the old one and have, have themselves cloned with extra parts. I was under the impression that, as Pokey said, they were added surgically, like, to, to the existing body. Um, I would I would hazard a guess that, like, once they died or got tired of that, like, then they could just restore from another backup and just have a regular body again. Okay, maybe I missed that. If, if you two say it, it was... You know, post-cloning uh, modifications, I'll, I'll accept that. 
I had a question I wanted to bring up um, simply because it's, I just kind of want to get everybody else's opinion on it. Um, I didn't touch this book for a very long time because it had to do with Disney. I'm the world's grumpiest man, and I hate everything that has to do with, <laughs> with Disney World. I'm with, world. You. I'm with, I'm with you. you. And so I wanted nothing to do with this book. And why did Corey pick that? Like, it's obviously like a distinct reason. I have my theories, but why, why Disney? Why did he pick that? Let's hear your theory because I know the answer. Oh, you know the answer. I just I figured I want to jump was... in and. I just want to jump in and agree that I'm also fairly anti-Disney, and for quite a while I avoided this book. Not not because I'm grumpy, but because I think Disney has done a lot to harm the copyright landscape, and for that I really don't like them. And I know that you know in the next ten years I'm going to have to suck it up and deal with it because my daughter is going to love Disney everything, and it's going to be terrible. I just Disney World sucks. Have you ever been? Like it's terrible. Yes, <laughs> that's, it, that's, yes. The, that's the only reason I don't like it. Like I, I don't mind Disney movies. I mean, some of them are cool. I mean, did you go in the Haunted Mansion though? Because that was the one thing that I remember liking from Disney World. It was all right. I'm like a roller coaster dude. So like there's no there's like one roller coaster and then the rest of it sucks. I don't know. See, I figured it was because Jules, you know, he wants to be happy and you know, Disney World's supposed to be the happiest place on earth. So what was your guess? Because I, I, I actually do know the answer, but I want to hear your guess. Ah, now I'm curious because you actually know the answer. I, I don't know. I think it was like because it, it you know, in this post scarcity, post capitalist world, like that even then, even after everything else falls down, Disney is somehow like this oasis of happiness. Like, I don't know how that happened. Uh, just kind of I, I wonder if it's like just irony or snark that he just picked Disney. Um, or just because it was something that a lot of people know, like a lot of people have been there. They have a connection to that place. And some people freaking love that place. And I don't get them at all. Uh, some of those people are in my family and they're like, oh, I got to go to Disney like twice a year. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, there's so many better places on the planet to go. Um, I, you know, I've got a bunch of different ideas, but <clears throat> nothing completely solid. So uh, hit me with hit me with some knowledge, Pokey. What's the deal? What's the deal? I have a guess. I, I want to venge. I want to try to guess before I hear Pokey because I, I actually don't have answer this question. Anybody else a guess? I I think I, I would say I would have to say that Corey brings to the the novel a uh, a love hate relationship with this thing called Disney, not just the park but this entity, uh, because he is such a crusader for copyright reform and for the rights of creators. And uh, Disney, as, as we've already said, you know, as we've already said, has is, is not been the friendliest uh, entity with regard to those issues. But Corey also, I think, personally, is enthralled by Disney Imagineering. I mean, the ability to I mean, they are science fiction practitioners. I mean, what they do is they create robots and they help us imagine the future. And Corey's a science fiction novel and he's invested in helping people imagine better and different futures. And that's what Disney Imagineering does. And that's what the parks do in the flesh. So, like, I feel like embodied in Corey is this 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 conflicted person who has this love hate relationship with this thing called Disney, and I think that that relationship fuels a first, that kind of relationship fuels a first novel, right? I mean that that kind of intense emotional connection to a place is what you're supposed to do for your first novel, right? You write what you know, you write what you're passionate about, and I I would guess if I had to guess that that's why I picked Disney World. Holy shit, that was a guess. That would be my that would be my guess. You nailed it. 
Is that right? Well, then I, I, there's no way I could have guessed it that accurate. I must have read it somewhere then. I, I must have read it because uh, that, 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 that I can't I'm never that spot on with anything. <laughs> no. Yeah, maybe because you're exactly right. He loves Disney World. Uh, he loves the, the Disney parks. Um, he, he goes on at great. I've heard him go on at great length about the um, attention to detail paid to every little thing in the park. Like um, if you wanted to go through and nitpick the park, you'd be hard pressed to find a piece of gum stuck where that someone uh, stuck somewhere like under a bench or something that somebody didn't notice and scrape free is, is the way he describes that attention to detail. Every little, you know, screw is, is painted and covered up every little repair. Everything is just, it's, it's, perfect as an experience um and the artistry that goes on the, the imagineering exactly as you said um and also exactly as you said and, and and walt disney being you know this guy pushing these imagineers and pushing these people to to not just entertain but to give people an experience he's he's gone on and on and on about that but then there is that dichotomy there is the the uh the damage that they've done to the uh copyrights intellectual property um as a topic uh i don't know if he said this or if, if i've just thought this so long but i think disney has done tremendous tremendous damage to our culture um it, just in the fact that you know here's this giant umbrella corporation that you know gives out glowing rays of happiness yet they own you know, corporations that own corporations that own corporations. And, and you dig down deep enough and, and under the Disney umbrella, you've got, I mean, you name it, it's, it's covered under the Disney umbrella. It's just a happy face that they paint on everything. And, and they do a fantastic job of that in the park. And I'm with everybody who said all their rides suck. And the only really fun ones were the, you know, space mountain. And, and I, I, I did like the, the, um, the, the haunted mansion if this were not about the haunted mansion i would not have been able to re relate with the attraction to disney at all when i was a kid i we went there and just waited all day in line to get to you know three rides and then when they had the uh the, <laughs> what Corey calls the snow crash parade it's exactly what happened to us we said to hell with this parade let's go check out something that doesn't have a line and we went on the haunted mansion six times in a row and it was it was it just trapped my attention every single time trying to figure out how the the ghosts in the mirror work or the shadows in the ballroom that don't have any anything casting a shadow it was just it was stunning to me as a kid and i could totally relate to that i just wanted to throw a few more things into your the, the dichotomy of disney discussion Disney has gotten to the point where they own everything. You know, all the things that were cool from my childhood, Marvel Comics, Star Wars, Disney owns that now. Here, here. Amen. I mean, to tangent just a moment, I'm really hesitant about what's going to happen with the new Star Wars trilogy. You know, I've wanted it forever, but because it's Disney that's doing it, it kind of hurts my heart a little bit. I'm not worried about Disney. I'm worried about J.J. Abrams. I second that. I mean, he's already ruined Star Trek. Oh, I I can't agree with you on that, but I think You're that wrong. It's, I, think it's, I think that regardless of how you feel about his previous work, I think that him doing Star Wars and Star Trek, just that's one of those where you shouldn't cross the streams. Well, his whole way of making Star Trek was, I'm going to make Star Trek into Star Wars and throw out everything that was Star Trek. 
and then he gets Star Wars and he's like, oh yeah, all that stuff that everybody read and loved for like, you know, the 20 years there was no Star Wars. Yeah, I'm throwing that out too. No, that was Disney that did that. As far as I know anyway. I bet he had something to do with it because that was his whole idea was rebooting Star Trek because he didn't want to deal with the canon because he didn't know it and he didn't care. And that's, that is the thing for me is that there's so much um, Star Wars fanfic or extended universe canon that's being retconned that's awful. Well, I mean, it, you know, and it's ironic because, you know, no, no other fantasy universe has paid more attention to canon uh, through the years that, than uh, Star Wars. I mean, right after the first movie, there, there was some, um, uh, uh, you know, new fiction, I guess you would say, they, 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 because they sure were written for adults. They weren't written for little kids. But about three Star Star Wars paperbacks that came out dealing with Han Solo and Chewbacca before, you know, the events of the uh, of A New Hope. And in it, you know, there, in uh, you know, Han climbs into a uh, Han climbs into a Z ninety five starfighter. Headhunters, yes. And 20 years later, that shows up in the game. So either Lucas, someplace in his original notes, had to talk about the headhunter, or somebody read through those old novels and, and brought that in. And see, I thought that uh, Shadows of the Empire, which falls right after Empire Strikes Back, I thought that was the first officially licensed book, and it was written in the 90s. No, there was, well, everything like the way that it had worked with Star Wars is is that there were different levels of canon and they were all like, it was one canon, but some things were like loose canon. So there were a couple books that were before like Shadows and the, the, um, the Thrawn trilogy and stuff that were, um, they still counted. So they kind of cherry picked, they picked the things that they liked and kind of retconned the other stuff away. Um, and so, um. Uh, so they they just they've always had kind of a flexible continuity, but they at least paid attention to it. I mean, they there was literally a dude at Lucas that like that was his job. He was like the the librarian. He took care of it. The other point I wanted to to make before we wrap up was just the damage they've done to the culture, our culture, because of the damage they've done to the comments. You know, a hundred years ago, things that were copyrighted fell into. And I use that term kind of loosely. Fell into. Um, public domain and now to protect mickey mouse and to keep mickey mouse out of public domain they just keep pushing copyright forward and basically robbing the commons whereas Corey is deliberately intentionally putting brand new things into the commons and that's you know an, an interesting dichotomy when when i, I sorry uh x1101 i didn't mean to throw you off or the the text chat that we're throwing back and forth when i asked if we could wrap i meant for people to make points not to say hey can i make my point before we wrap i, I meant does anybody have any closing points well i hate to i said i'll, I'll do it quick uh you know uh Reading this book did kind of bring back the Haunted Mansion for me because I, met, I mentioned earlier when I was a little kid, probably five or six, went out to California and I saw Disneyland and the Haunted Mansion was closed then. And then uh, we went to Disney World uh, a couple years later, three years later, I think it's, well, it would have been 72. And 
I, I was thinking when I started well, I have no recollection of going through the haunted mansion. I know it wasn't closed. Why didn't I go through it? And so, you know, we, I, I started looking at the video, you know, the virtual tours online. Actually, I got to all five of the different versions. Uh, and I mentioned that in the, it, I won't go over it again. I mentioned, I mentioned in the post to the, uh, the uh, newsletter, but, uh, you know, I said, I don't remember any, I must have missed it, but then for, for some reason, taking the virtual tours, I, I uh, you know, as so, soon as they got to the elongating room, I remember, oh yeah, I've been there. Uh, you know, so I knew, I knew I'd been through it before. I didn't really remember a whole lot about the rest of the ride, but it was nice, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I went through a bunch of the virtual tours of the ride, and then there's a great, uh, I, I did post it, you might include the Pokey if you want, the the links that I put on the in the uh, submission to to the HPR mailing list yesterday. There, you know, it's really an excellent documentary on how they went about uh, building the Haunted Mansion and the, the original one and the one Disney uh, Disney World and and how all the effects were created. And then there's another one that I haven't watched that. Uh, you know, it is like with about the same people. I think a behind-the-scenes look at uh, at the Han Mansion. I think both both of them are uh, are well worth watching because a lot a lot of the effects are that you know you, when you're going through that you know the ballroom sequence, it's because you know everything is done. There's a big clear pane of gla- uh, pane of glass between you and everything in the scene. What it is is underneath where your car is going, that's how they do the ghosts. The ghosts are all under there, and they're solid and moving around, but they're 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 varying the intensity of light behind them to make them appear and disappear reflected off this glass. And the thing, reason I wanted to mention that, uh, this glass is a very, you know, when it was made for the original Han Mansion in California, it was the biggest sheet of glass ever made, and the mansion was built around it. And uh, so I guess back in the 80s, some Yahoo got in there for a pistol and actually shot holes through the glass. Oh, no. And, yeah. And they, they were like, what do we do? It's like we got to, you know, to replace this piece of glass, we've got to tear the roof off the place. And so I guess what they eventually did is they put these, like, spiderweb decals over the bullet holes. Fortunately, you know, it just blew a hole through the glass. It didn't crack it or anything like that. So the bullet holes are still there. Wow. That's almost worth the trip just to go see that. So I thought that was very – I knew that when I got to the point in the story where, you know, for Jules thing, they were – breaking up that piece of glass and taking it out in sections, you know. So that's that's like the end of the original experience when you take that glass out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's um astonishing that the the glass stood up and didn't break. All right. I think it, it's a I think it's a pretty thick chunk of glass. Yeah, still it's brittle. Um all right, does anybody else have anything to say to wrap up or should we start having a public discussion of our private chat about our next book? I think we know what the next book's gonna what the next book's gonna be. Yeah, last three chapters were posted this weekend, so he I, I think he may have been since you had him on the mailing list, uh Pokey, I ha- I half suspect he may have been in anticipation uh, of us uh, making a choice now. You might be right about that. Semiotic robotic, was that your guess too? About what? Say again? Were you were you talking about street candles too? 
Oh no, I, I that's that's interesting. No, I didn't put that connection together, but it seemed like everybody was uh, coalescing around Cthulhu. Oh, I thought everybody was saying put Cthulhu off and do it for October. <laughs> <laughs> I totally that would be awesome to do around Halloween, just because that's such an amazing story. I, yeah, yeah, I dig I, it. I can wait until then. I've never heard it or read it. Hey, Pokey. If yes, we're going to do, because um, you were talking about possibly because next month is a little shirt, a little shirt, uh, a little short. Um, if we did street candles, why don't we do that as August and September and break it in half like we had talked about before and then do Cthulhu for October? Mm, well, maybe. Yeah, but I don't know. The more I think about it, the less I want to break uh, street candles in half. I, I really think we should just do. I mean, we did. We're almost at three hours tonight, uh, you know, not counting the little bit that I recorded before we got here. Um, yeah, we're like two and a half hours. So for something like Street Candles, and this was a short story. So for something like Street Candles, I think we just ought to plan on it being a very long show. But I, I, my only concern about it being, you know, we pushed this show back a week. So it makes the time period between now and the next recording very short. If any of the the uh, home audience, you know, our, our, our participants at home, players along at home, whatever you call it. I can't think of the funny word for that. But, you know, if anybody at home wants to listen to it, that might not be enough time for someone who hasn't listened to it yet. I think we're all almost cheating because I think most of us have heard Street Candles and love it and can't wait to do it. But I'm not... I- I have not, so it'll be a first time through for me. Nor okay. have I. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, same here. Oh, really? Okay, geez, okay. Because I was thinking, may, just for that reason and that reason alone, because it's a it's a long book, it's a short month, and it really deserves the attention. I was I was thinking of saying do that next month and do something shorter this month. Um, and Semiotic Robotic had an idea for a short one, and I had an idea for a short one if we wanted to go that way. I'm not saying that, you know, we, I'm, I'm definitely not in charge of the book club. This is a community project. So um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, if it's a long book that derves, deserves a lot of attention and we think that we would benefit as a community from pushing it off a month, I wouldn't mind doing a short one now and then doing it uh, in August. That also, if we pre decide that we're going to do that in August, for the August to September month, we can allow people more time to read to listen to it if they choose to. I agree. That sounds like a good idea. Oh yeah, like assign it now. Oh, that's uh, actually a very good idea. I didn't even consider that. Yeah, definitely put definitely put the link in the notes for uh, for this one. But yeah, I can I can see how you know I don't I don't I don't want participants to have to just rush through it to uh to get it done because it's it's not it's not something that should be rushed through it should be savored sounds like a plan okay cool that sounds good and then i don't know the after that or the month after that we'll do uh call of cthulhu that that uh fake oh shit, i shouldn't have probably pre-announced it sorry i think you can edit it spoil that oh now i'm the dick all right uh so uh, so just beep out everything just beep out every reference to call of cthulhu just you know I can't. <laughs> Two and a half hours of editing. I'm just going to clip the tail and the head off of it and put the music on and be done with it. Just the way Ken likes it. So what was what was the one you were thinking of? Semiotic robotic for the for the short one. Since you're our newest uh, host and we've traditionally you know let the newest host pick. Though I actually it's kind of cutting ties because I don't think he picked one yet. But anyway, what was your idea for a short one? <laughs> That's very kind, but I was I, in the in the chat. I was responding to somebody else, so I didn't I didn't have a uh, a solid idea for sure when I make. I'd certainly come up with uh, some good suggestions and email them to you, but um, 
you know, I'll, I'll save my uh, new guy card for, uh, for the future. All right. And Todd, you haven't picked one yet, right? No, I was the one that mentioned the short one. I think oh. he was responding to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. So what was your idea for a short one then? Um, it is a book that I found like last year and it hit every like geeky bone in my body and I loved it and it's really short and it's just like a dime store novel, but it's amazing. Um, it's Seth Kinlan and it's Revolution Radio. Oh, wait, is there a, is it, has he got an audio book of that? There is an audio book of it. You do have to go to his site though. And I'm not sure exactly. Let me look up and see what the site is. Bitch. And we'll do that for sure. We love Seth around here. Yeah, I wish I knew that guy personally. <laughs> Don't that, we all? Well, that even be... I thought I had a good idea for a short one, but that tops it. I was going to say we do uh, Cory Doctorow's other book that I just re-found, True Names, because that takes uh, the whole, you know, diff and merge your personality and everyone's in an AI. That takes that idea to its, you know, to Corey's vision of its ultimate end. And I thought that was really good. But, you know, maybe that's like... Uh, that's extracurricular if you finish... Um, would you say Revolution Radio was the name of it? If if we finish if you finish that before next month, go ahead and listen to True Names just because it's good. Yeah, it's uh it's called Revolution Radio. If you go to Seth dot dot com, so it's S E T H dot K N K E N L O N dot com, and it's under stuff you can only hear. He's got a lot of different uh sub things but it's under there and uh you can get the uh he's got the the ebook or the um audiobook i like what a fantastic idea yeah it's um i i picked it up right about the same time i got into ham radio and the the common threads between those two things are unbelievable oh really cool all right so anybody following along at home the book uh that we'll review next and uh, we'll we'll meet for the recording August what is it twelfth. So on August twelfth, uh, seven p.m. Eastern time, we'll review um, Seth Kenlin's Revolution Radio. And when you finish that, because it's a short one, start listening immediately to um, to uh, uh, Street Candles. No, start reading. No, put put your names off. We're not. We don't have to review that one. We covered most of that here tonight, anyway. No, start in on Street Candles because that'll be a long one. We'll do that in mid uh, September, second Tuesday in September. <coughs> awesome plan, guys. Thank you. And I will have to say, I'll be reading more Cory Doctorow now. This is the first uh, first one of his I'd ever I'd ever done. And when I tried it a year ago, like I said, I said immediately I didn't like it. So. I'm glad you guys made me read it, so it opens up a whole bunch of new material for me to listen to. Yeah, 50, you have to read Little Brother and Homeland. Like, those are awesome. (laughs) I was actually going to suggest Makers. Oh, that's good, too. Yeah, that one, too. Yeah. I was going to say Crap Hound, if you you have to have some more Cory Doctorow. Just read it all. It's all there, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's all there. Do it all. The the one thing from uh, my daughter just read... Um, uh, little brother, and uh, there's something in there that the, the computer recognizes people by the way they walk, and they call it gate recognition. And you know, if if I go to like if I'm sitting with my daughter, and there's like junior high school kids around, especially, you can just point and go gate recognition because they all do have a unique walk, and it it makes perfect sense. And we just laugh at that every time. Hey, Pokey, if she's more of a fan of physical books, and you're interested, I have uh, Homeland here. I can loan you guys. Oh, we already bought it. She already read it on the Kindle. But thank you. 
Okay, here's a here's an interesting catch. I was going to ask about this, but I I just verified for sure. Um, Revolution Radio is going to be exclusive to the Gnudists. This is uh, available in Og Vorbis only as a uh, as a download or as an AAC. What an AAC? That's kind of weird. Okay, so the Gnudists and the anti-Gnudists only. The super free and the super not free. <laughs> yeah, there's no MP3 version of it. Uh, I'm good. I listen to everything on my Android phone, which does play Aug. Yeah, um, I'm good too. And, I, and if it's if it's that short, and if you get a whole month, you can listen to it on a, a even a Windows machine can play Aug. So you're okay. Just download the LZ. You'll be able to use it. I was gonna say exactly the same thing. All right. So yeah, I think that about wraps it up. This has been one of the most fun shows that uh, we've ever done. This uh, the, the the conversation was was really. I don't think we've had this interesting a discussion about a book since we did. Um, oh shoot! Now I can't remember the name of the book, the Lester Del Rey book that we did. Might have even been the first one we ever did. But uh, yeah, this has been great, guys. Thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Really, really fun. I concur. Thanks for being the guy that organizes it, Pokey. Oh, thanks, man. That's sweet. Of you. I, I, you're welcome. You're very welcome. As, as welcome. long as, as people long as keep as showing up, we'll do this. All my woofy, Pokey. Woohoo! Oh, it's too heavy to carry. I need a I need a wheelbarrow. Use some of that wolfie. Buy a wheelbarrow. Yeah, I figured I should finally come on. I mean, you've been inviting me forever, so. Yeah, we we need you around too, man. I love you. I love you too, man. Aw. And you too, fifty. I'm glad you came on tonight. That was you had some very interesting things to say. And uh, I, mean, I just I love having everybody on here. It's great having so many different perspectives. And and I'm it's weird that this book. On the surface, the first time I listened to it, I thought it was a really like lightweight story. But then we get to talk about it. There was so much there to uncover, and that's that was really fantastic. I don't think I would have noticed that had it not been our assigned book. So, uh, all my woofie to X one one zero one for picking the book. I've just enjoyed you know having a chance to listen to it a couple of times and getting really a bunch of different perspectives on it because you know I've only had one set of experiences and having other filters to process this book through has been really fascinating. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that's all I have to say. So I just want to thank you guys and say good night. And if anybody else has a closing, go for it. Cause I'm all done. I'm, 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 I've taken all my time. Night folks. Good night all. Peace everybody. Bye y'all. Goodbye. <laughs>
Um, it's quite a step up from Little Caesars. Do they give you a little paper crown to wear while you eat? <laughs> no, 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 Pokey, that's Burger King. Now, Pegwall, do you have the ones that have the train that bring the drinks to you? Because that's like the only selling feature here for my daughter is like, oh, the place with the train. Uh, it doesn't bring drinks to anymore. They got rid of that here. But there is a giant like train car you can actually sit in that's inside the restaurant. <laughs> There's a restaurant at the top of the hill here that I've it's since I've lived in this town since like 2008, it's had like four different owners and it's never really changed much in quality. It's just kind of bland, but they have a train there now for the little kids to ride out in like their yards. So I want to go back again. And that's the only reason why. So you can ride it. So my nephew can ride it with me. <laughs> Train's much too big for pokey. I mean, he needs those little teeny tiny bikes. I don't need no stinking train. I got my short bus. Pokey, that fabric you sent me is awesome. I've been playing around with it. Isn't that nice stuff? Yeah, it's perfect. When you told me it was floral, I, I expected something different, man. It's it's pretty much camo. Yeah, isn't it? It's like, I mean, it's got flowers on it, but yeah, it's camo. Totally. To be fair, floral is camo if you're in a flower shop. Fair point. Floral's camo if you're in the woods, actually. It's, it's pretty good. As long as it's got plenty of greens and browns in it, or reds, it's fine. Well, and if it's if it's too, you know, too many of the same colors, even if it's camo, it makes a pattern and you can see it. So, I mean, a little bit of color is not that bad on it. Right, right, right. Hey, uh, we got Semiotic Robotic. What's up, man? You need a sound check, I bet. Hey, guys. Yeah, hopefully you can uh, you can hear me. This is my maiden mumble. And I've, I've never mumbled before, but uh, I hope you can hear me. Yeah, sound fantastic. Sweet. Awesome. I figure we'll give it a couple more minutes just to see if anybody else shows up. Because I know a couple of people, I don't even pay attention to who says, like, maybe and no. I figure if everybody just says maybe to the invite, that means they want to keep it on their calendar. And I'm fine with that, but they don't like pay for it. Good call uh, inviting Corey. I, I didn't know if he, would, uh, if he would respond or not, but that was that was suave. Um, good move. Yeah, he... He he only emailed me, so I didn't get, like, his voice, but the tone of his email, he seemed disappointed that he couldn't make it, and he's just the the combination of time zones and how much he's traveling right now and how little sleep he's getting, it, this would keep him up well past midnight, so I, I think it would even start well past midnight, so he just, he couldn't, he couldn't spend the sleep on it, is, is you know, what I got out of it. Yeah, that makes sense. I probably would have made some kind of Eastern Standard Tribe joke about that. <laughs> oh, I definitely should have, but I, I did get a little something out of him. I, I was looking for his short story, one of his short stories that I like a, a, a whole lot, and I could not remember the name of it. And his website is really not good for searching <laughs> stuff on, but he, he told me what the name of it was, so I scored there. What story was it's one called True Names, and he wrote it with somebody else, but it's it's fantastic. That was really a head trip. I remember reading that one. I haven't read that. Did he write that with Charlie Strauss? Uh, I'd have to look that up and see who he wrote it with. You guys heard me okay? Yeah. Loud and clear, man. Okay, it's weird. Ever since I uh, updated this computer, the fancy headphones and speaker or microphones haven't wanted to cooperate. I've been breaking up like I had no bandwidth, so I won't, I wanted to ask you in time to go switch to the other computer. You, there is something weird going on with it. You, you do sound a little 
echoey, but it's a really short, short echo. It's not. It's more like a a weird sound than a than an echo. It's not like distracting or anything. And it was a bit of static too, but it's not. It's not bad. It's certainly doable. Okay. Yeah, on my oh, end, on my end, it sounds like a little static uh, around your voice. Yeah, I'm only like, getting static. You can't hear me, Pegwall. No, man. I mean, I can hear you, but I mean, I'm only getting that little bit of static there. I'm not hearing an echo. Oh, okay. And semiotic robotic. Are you using headphones or speakers? I'm using a speaker. I'm actually on my uh, mobile phone. Okay. All right. You've got. Oh, really? That's Plumble. I'm on Plumble. Wow, that's the best I've heard Plumble sound. You must have a Wi-Fi connection. Even on Wi-Fi, mine, mine sounded awful. Yeah, I'm on Wi-Fi. What device are you using? It's a Galaxy Note 2. Hmm, I've never heard one sound that good. Yeah, I had a 2012 Nexus 7, and I, I, I might have just had some settings wrong, but I sounded bad. Nope. All, Plumble just updated today in the F-Droid repos, too. Yeah, I was I I was thinking to myself, boy, what great timing. Um, I don't even know if I got the update though. I guess my phone automatically installed it, but um, yeah, it was great timing. Yeah, it sounds good too. Great. When I saw Corey uh, on the invite, I had two conflicting thoughts. My first was it would be really cool to talk to him, and my second was a very strong concern that I would just go all fanboy and it would be weird. Yeah, I had that worry myself. Yeah. I, I- I kind of had the opposite worry because I didn't particularly like this book, but I really like his other stuff, so I didn't want to like offend him. Well, that's I've read several of his books, and I haven't found one I didn't at least appreciate, even if it wasn't exactly what I liked. Oh boy, I can't wait to begin the review. This is going to be good. Uh, Benjamin Rosenbaum was the guy that he wrote True Names with. Interesting. I definitely didn't know he collaborated with anybody other than Charlie Strauss. So that's really interesting. I'll have to look it up. Obviously, it's CC licensed somewhere. Oh, yeah. You, it's, I mean, you can get it on his website in any format you want. And uh, I think I downloaded it, the audio version from his website, too. But I, um, I listened to it on his podcast a, a long time ago, maybe two, three years ago. And then when he, this time when I got back with him, he told me the name of it. I just I downloaded the to, uh, an ebook and just was reading it on the Kindle. Cool. It's a very good read. I'm enjoying the read even more than the than the audio book, which is strange for me. Yeah, I'll admit up front, I cheated a little bit on the old uh, audio book club here and actually reread Down and Out because uh, it was easier to do on the bus and before bed. Interesting. Or right, we should start this thing then. You guys all ready to start? Any any objections? Do you have the recorder on? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You asked me that last time, and it made it into the, the post show. Well, I figure it's funny enough. I should point it out so that doesn't happen again. We should uh, just pretend like we. this is like the third take. We should just pretend like that. <laughs> <laughs> take four. Just make it a running gag. <laughs>